0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to fritolasnacket.espionation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Tweep ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but Prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at fridelaysnacket.espionation.com
1: This is the Black and Gold Batterette Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you here on this. uh, Well, it's getting colder out, guys, mid-November. It's, you know, we're starting to wind down the football season. We got two football games to go back-to-back at home, UConn and USF. We're going to wrap up that performance at SMU, which was a rough day to begin with. Taylor Young is going to join yeah! us for a bit for a better to talk some basketball. Yeah, fan- the big win for UCF against Jacksonville last night. By the way, it looked like everything was going wrong, and they figured out a way to win, which was great to watch. Um, T.Y. is going to join us to break that down. UCF up to a three and zero start. They got that big win up in Miami where they scored ninety five points. you are going to break all that down with them, and of course, Bryson Turner later on going to join us to talk UCF volleyball. beat with their magic <laughs> number is three. To win the American. And a little baseball, little
2: right. a little football report. A little talk about with
1: Bryson, so. But we first are joined, uh, as is customary, by stat boy Drew himself, Andrew Glukov, to talk about UCF football here on the Black and Gold Bannerette podcast. Drew, what is up? Uh, I know you want to get done talking about this, the SMU game, as quickly as possible. Because, you know, I mean... That was, that was, that was rough, man. Like, why do I say, I, I wrote on Twitter, man. Like, why do I say things like I had a good feeling coming into that game for some, yeah, no. I, I, I really thought that the stars were aligning for, you know, I thought that Sunny Dykes was going to turn into Sunny Dykes and the deep. Well, oh, he did in the first it looked, possession. Listen, it looked good early. It looked, it looked like UCF was getting the, was going to get the breaks that they needed. And, but what ended up happening to i thought was we couldn't stop the run and that's what and that's what gave smu what they needed to get the win and it's too bad because i thought that the players especially tate and bethune afterwards they they had the the way that they were speaking i felt like they they were like man we had an opportunity he, he, throw the final score out which is 55 28 but they were like man we had an opportunity and we kind of left something on the table here what do you think drew
3: uh, well, I mean, basically everything went wrong. You know, I, I enjoyed this game so much that my prep coming in wasn't re-looking at the box score, which I like to do just to compare things. No, it was voting for, for all Americans from other t- schools. Uh, that's how much this game was, was interesting to me. I, I was watching paint dry instead of right. re-looking at the box score and having to relive the misery that was this game. But here's the truth UCF needed everything to go right. They, they needed to find a way to keep the running game ineffective. They had to find a way to keep uh, Tanner Morkai running for his life and, and being off balance. And ultimately, in the, long, in the grand scheme of things, none of it happened. I mean, it happened little bit, little pockets. And it forced SMU into mistakes, and UCF was able to capitalize on those. Remember, UCF scored touchdowns on, on short fields. But once they had a full field to work with, you know, defense does their job. They punt away. The offense went nowhere. Uh, The offense couldn't get anything put together on a sustained drive.
1: Yeah, and And even when they did, there a penalty would happen, and I mean that was it.
3: Oh yeah, Uh, a a key penalty in a a bad situation, you know, just at the wrong time, in the wrong place, and it it just derailed any positive momentum. And momentum's a huge thing. You know, when uh, Kyle Nash and I were talking to Aaron Evans after the game on night shift, I asked him about momentum. And and he said, momentum is everything. You know, and they couldn't establish it. And once SMU took it all away and had all that momentum, there there was no stopping them. That offense is so strong. Tanner Mordecai is such a proficient quarterback. Oh, he's good. Uh, He's really good. I mean, he just absolutely shredded the defensive backs who when, in the grand scheme of things did not have a bad game, right? But the problem was they, they, and I don't want to blame the defensive line because that's not fair. Uh, you know, Bryson Armstrong goes down rel, you know, earlier in the game with, with a season ending injury, uh, you know, that, that derails the defense. You're already thin in linebacker as it is. Eric Gilliard already transferred out. This would have been the perfect time for him to come back in and, 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 you know, substitute, but so you're thin, you work with the horses that you have and UCF's defensive line and front seven just could not generate enough pressure. Uh, he was able to pick his spots. He was able to, to move around with ease and, and, and pick it. And, and what are you going to do? You know, the defensive backfield was kind of hung out to dry and they did the best they could, but they, they were just outclassed. This was a flat out. SMU is a better team and showed it
0: period period I mean, period it's not even close like sure you were on top of this game from the get-go like we just I think you and I were watching the same game like this is not good like that even when UCF was getting those fortunate breaks the turnovers the game was going too fast and Only SMU too just fast. too fast and SMU has better athletes just better roster period it's not even close like the matchup between the SMU whiteouts and the UCF secondary was a mismatch uh SMU honestly should be disappointed in themselves because they're a top 25 caliber roster, but they've lost games they shouldn't have. And, and and, you know, period. Think about it this
3: way. You know, you had, you know, you're you're a team. You had two bad losses. I mean, the Houston one was a point flip. You kicked it to the guy that I nominated for uh, return specialist, All-American, Marcus Jones, who now has uh, two punt and two kickoff return touchdowns uh this season alone i and you kicked it to him you know yeah. there's only so many times you can roll the dice Well, and that was. It, and like, did, you. Did,
0: do you guys not watch well we're on i4 from four years ago it, it was exactly that and what made it worse was that sunny dykes had terrible clock management leading up to that because he took a timeout then kicked a field goal when he could have easily run the clock and kick the field goal, and we never would have had to kick it off there. And then they yeah. lose to Memphis. Uh, but hey, that's their problem. But I and think that, they could upset Cincinnati. Yeah, Memphis was the, bad
3: loss. Yeah. the, Memphis yeah. was the was, that was, was that really, was a
0: hangover loss. Yeah, that the and the game. thing
3: was, both of those were on the road. So now you're angry. You've come yeah. home, and poor UCF is right in your sights. And and they're you know they were coming off a win. You know UCF coming off a win streak of their own they didn't play anyone. You, know, you you, you, played Memphis, who was down their starting quarterback. In fact, they were start down their backup too. They, they put their third string in. Uh, yeah. You played Tulane, you played Temple, not very good team. So yeah, you have some inflated wins there, but I mean, let's not fool ourselves. UCF this year is just not a very good team. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that your best players are out. You have you're, you're using a lot of second and third string players uh, filling in gaps, you have thinness. You, you're thin in certain. You're positions, thin, right?
0: The but, injuries but, but have exposed the of thinness of this roster. You,
3: you have a defensive tackle from day one who had to play defensive end, yeah, and was getting chewed apart not through any fault of his own because he was just out of position and that's just not what he was meant to play. Uh, that's not, you know, that I don't, it, I don't blame anyone. I don't blame the coaching staff. I don't blame the players. Uh, you can only work with what you got. You can't create things out of thin air.
1: Point of order. I don't think it's fair to say the team is not good when they're we don't not, know how good they let me really say, are. They're not championship the caliber. Injury. Well, agree. Agree with Drew okay. on that. But let me. But let me ask you. And this is a hard question to answer. But would
0: they be were it not for the injuries? Uh, I think I they have, still. I, I think they still lose to Cincinnati and SMU even if they're healthy.
1: That in fact for the uh, our Yeah, I disagree. Picks. I think that I think that they. I think that I mean Cincinnati probably. I think the SMU game is a toss up.
0: No way, no, no way. SMU I, blows, beats them. I think, I think it would more... have been
3: a. Blow, I don't think it would have been a blowout, but you know, playing on the road is always an extra yeah. step of difficulty. Right. And I think SMU still would have won. Uh, in fact, on my preseason picks, I had UCF uh, at ten and two in the regular season, losing to Cincinnati and SMU. In fact, I had those two teams in my conference championship. And you should have been
0: right. And you should have been right. That's a good pick, Sonny Dyke Screwed you on that, Drew. Just for the record. I,
3: I mean, it is what it is. I thought SMU was going to be the other team, but uh, Houston was able to pull that one out. In fact, Houston should be undefeated, but wasn't for laying a complete oh. against a bad Texas Tech. Team. Oh. But but that right you know that. that was a season opener. That's you know things happen when you're when you're fresh. Uh, you're coming off a bad year. And, and think, things They've happen, been trying so. to
1: push that boulder uphill since on their schedule. And they finally cracked
3: the CFP top 25 Yet uh, on Tuesday. Uh, it was unfair that they've been dogged as bad as they are. I know the Americans not having a great year, but that SMU win should have propelled them up and they got illegitimately screwed for weeks on their rankings. And even now, they're better than, what, 23rd, I think is what they are. They're better no. than that. That that's
0: not fair. We'll that's see. not right. We'll see. I mean, don't lose to Texas Tech, and you wouldn't have that problem. I mean, that's the the twenty fourth. Yeah, yeah. But so, I, I, I think this it, this roster is going to look completely different than next year. I think you're going to see. First of all, you got a highly recruited class coming in, and I think you're going to see Gus and the staff go to the transfer portal. I think you're going to see up to eight to ten guys from the transfer portal. Well, not only roster. that,
3: not only that, but they are allowing. Uh, schools to up the amount of guys they yep. sign Bingo. based on transfers out. Yep. And UCF had a few. I mean you it's natural when you have a new coaching regime come in, you're gonna have some attrition. That's natural. That's expected.
1: Turnover. Uh, yeah.
3: You know, UCF had had, you know, you know, Bentavious Thompson was, was just you know bad timing. And uh and then you have you know guys later in the year like McMillan just you know officially announced uh but I mean we knew for a little while that he was he was heading out. Uh, but, you know, players are going to leave. You know, it, the transfer portal has kind of made it the Wild West to a certain extent. And you're going to always have guys saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to look elsewhere. I understand why McMillan left. Uh, he was getting pushed down the depth chart. Some of these younger players were rising up and, and getting more playing time. And what's funny was he was called out numerous times as being one of the spring football standouts. And he just got pushed down as the fall went on. And And these younger players are just, you know, they're all, you know, they may not necessarily be Gus's guys, but uh, what, for whatever reason, they, they were earning playing time. And, yeah. you know, as an older player who has a year left, you know, I can understand the the desire to look elsewhere to play one more year. I mean, Trey Neal did it when, when he left to go to Nebraska. Correct. You know, I he wanted that, that one more shot.
1: Yeah. It, well, I, th- I think it's interesting. Like the comparison that I make to it now is like, we have, you know, back in the day before free agency, pro teams could only build through the draft and then free agency happened, right? In college sports now, recruiting is your drafts and the transfer portal is your free agency. Agreed, 100%. So, um, you know, I I mean, I'm interested to see it. And my thing is like, I mean, guys who enter the transfer portal, like, like you said, Jerry, if they, you know, if they feel like they want the opportunity to go elsewhere to further their education for whatever reason and get that one more shot, you know, something, God bless you, but go for it. You, because I personally believe college, you know, what, why would, why should college student athletes be restricted from transferring to any other school just because they were just because they were student athletes. If they weren't student athletes, you can transfer wherever you want. Right. Exactly. You know, so, I, I mean, you know, I mean I we, we know about how to transfer as, as, as students, like just the fact that you play a sport hampers that decision. I don't think that's fair, but, you know, but at the same time, there's a balance there because, you know, you could go in the transfer portal, but like, there's I no think, guarantee
3: you're going to be taken by anybody
1: number. Right. Number one, there's no guarantee you're getting, you know, that, that teams are going to line up or schools are going to line up to, to, to pick you up, especially the schools that you, that you might think you want. And number two, I think you made a good, Point, you know, when you mentioned Eric Gilliard, you know, when you know, again, nothing against Eric, but you know, Bryson Armstrong is out with an, with an ACL gone for the year, team's leading tackler. This would have been the perfect opportunity for him to, you know, slip back into that depth chart and get some playing time. And I always, that's I always a found- big, and that's a big, that's why, you know, the transfer portal for players, it's a big risk. Yeah, I always found it weird to
3: do mid-season entries into the into the transfer portal. I, I don't know if it's you're just trying to get a head start uh against other players that may do it's it. almost
1: like filing for free agency, like in the middle of a season if you're yes, an NFL it's player. Weird. It is kind of weird.
3: Because weird. schools aren't really gonna bring you in mid-season. Uh, uh, no. they can't use you, can't play you. Uh you, you're not eligible to play, you know, yeah. the, that season. So I, I never quite fully understood why. They, they did it, you know, so early, you know, there was opportunities that, that, that opened up for him to to be able to get on the field and have uh, productive playing time for the remainder of the season and then transfer, you, you, know, you know, Agreed.
0: Finish the season out. Cause you never know. Jeff, I mean, I agree with both you of you. You never go. know what could happen. And that's the only thing I don't like about this, you know, think of all the players in the past that would get opportunities either because of injury or just, you know, Hey, let's make a change in that. And, too many guys are impatient. I think some of this our parents are not patient. Uh, and they jump. And, you know, that's not just a UCF thing. That's across the board. You know, Chuba Purdy, a quarterback at Florida State, what transfers. Literally the next week, uh the uh Jordan Travis go is out with the flu. Mackenzie Milton has to play where in reality, Jubba Purdy probably would have got an opportunity to play and start that game. And, and I just, I, I agree with both of you. I think I don't have a problem with guys leaving. I do have a problem with guys leaving during the season. I think you're quitting on your pl- on your team, and I'm not sure there's a real big benefit to leaving during the season. The, the, I'm going to up the ante this. on that. I
3: want to up the ante on that real quick because okay, Uh-oh. um, you, we talked about two reasons. There's a third thing about the transfer portal. Say you go in the transfer portal, no one picks you up. There's no guarantee you can go back. Once you enter into the transfer portal, Correct. you're technically no longer part of the program. You're not Correct. on the team, gone, and there is no requirement for the school you left to leave that spot open for you.
0: Correct. They can fill it right.
3: filled in with someone else, and you're SOL. You, you you know you're up. You you're on your own. You know, you decided to go. You know go out in the wild. The the un you know the untamed frontier. Good luck to you. Uh, you may miss out on an FBS school. You may have to go into FCS or even Division II to find a new home, and you know that's part of the risk. But you know, I don't. Want, well, we'll just use Eric uh, uh, Gilliard as an example, just because he's say he goes in the transfer portal, which he has. No one picks him up. There's nothing that says UCF has to take him back. You know, you said, hey, we All we right. we we got it. We've got guys. We brought in transfers, and I was like, we're sorry. There's no spot for you. Uh, and and now. He's out now of luck. Now, so there's a risk. I, I,
0: now, I guess the counter argument why guys might leave during the season is they don't want to risk playing more games and losing a year. That could be the, the, the only thing I could that's, think of in, in fairness point. as a counter to why you would leave during the season is because this happened with the Clemson a couple years ago where Kelly Bryant was starting, but Trevor Lawrence was playing and everybody knew that Trevor Lawrence was going to take over. And Kelly Bryant's like, I don't want to waste a year and be a backup after like four games. So he got into the portal and there was a lot of controversy about that. So, yeah. You know, it's an evolving situation with the portal, but
1: you know, I I, I wonder if, and and, and, you know, I wonder if, you know, uh, this week we had the NCAA constitutional convention, which the big story out of that was that the, the policies are going to be devolved from the NCAA to the divisions, division one, division two, division three, and so forth. I wonder if one of the things that they're talking about, especially in division one might be, you know, you know how you have, in professional sports, a free agency period. I wonder if you're going to have a transfer portal period maybe in the future. I think I mean, that would I mean, probably be, a it good would idea. be
3: interesting, but you're right, Eric, uh, about, about Gilliard. You know, he played four games. That's his right. redshirt point, but, but here's, here's the thing. And I, I and you know, obviously it, it's hard, hard to weigh on which, which is better. Um, you know, cause it can be, it can be construed in both ways that make both seem better. Do you, immediately go into the portal remove yourself from the program you're no longer part you don't have access to the facilities you're not practicing you're none of that or do redshirt agree to help you know the team with with practice scout team and stuff and and you know continue to do that you know keeping physically you know in a in good shape then hit the portal at the end of the season towards the next year i mean you can make cases for both one, you have use of team facilities, and and you're still on the field. The other, there's no risk of injury, or there's. Let me phrase it. There's minimal risk of injury.
1: Yeah,
3: uh, you know, you can make I, I a think case. classes
1: also play play a part in that. Like, you know, well, are if, you finishing out your semester? If you know?
3: I uh, and and don't quote me this, but I I believe usually they they can finish out the semester because technically it's already paid for
0: correct they can finish correct that's Uh, right
3: so they can finish the semester and then move somewhere else i mean the the part of going in the portal really is is the team aspect of it you're you're off the team you're out of the program you still got the scholarship for the remainder of that semester and then then good luck to you Um, you can either pay your way to stay in school until you find something else or you find somewhere else to land
0: all right. Just well, say practice, by the way. Practice. I hear practice was kind of a big deal this week. Practice. Yeah, speaking of practice, life, we're talking practice. about practice. Yes. We are talking about practice specifically. We're talking about we're talking about Dylan Gabriel, who is
1: back at practice. Uh, yeah, Coach Malzahn on uh, on uh, Monday was kind of coy about to what extent Dylan Gabriel uh, was practicing, but he is back at practice now. The UConn game. Here's what's interesting: when Dylan went down, uh, the initial prognosis was out indefinitely. But the thing that we were hearing was eight to ten weeks, based on that broken clavicle that he had on his throwing on his on his throwing side. The UConn game is week not is nine weeks now since the Louisville game and the injury. So it's right smack dab in the middle of when he can of when he should be recovering. Now, I wrote on the site you you got USF coming up on Black Friday. USF is a, I think, a much improved team the last two weeks. They've thrown 70 combined points on the board in two games against the two best teams in the American in their in their last year against Houston and Cincinnati. Timmy McClain, kid from Sanford. Excellent. So if I'm if I'm thinking about this, it's like, hey, you know, do you want to throw Dylan in there cold against the team that is going to be against the USF team that I think smells a little blood right now in the water and wants to take it to and wants to take it to UCF and thinks that that can be like a real signature win, especially for their coach, or do you go in here in the UConn game? UConn is bad. All right, they have only one win. That win was by six points at home against Yale. Um, do you go in? They lost to Holy Cross earlier this year. Do you go in in the UConn game, play a half, go up 35 nothing, and then, okay, we're, you're back up to speed. Drew, what do you think?
3: Uh, there's a lot of ways you can take this one. Uh, let, me, let me preface one thing because, you know, until you're back on the field, you're not back. You, know, you can be practicing, but it doesn't mean you're you're actually going to play. Uh, it, you, you you can talk about you know all the speculation you want, which is what what makes this all fun. But the truth is, until you're on the field, you're not you're not back. You know, Jalen Robinson practiced for a, a couple two or three weeks before he actually made it on the field. You know, Isaiah Bowser has been you know at practice but he was held out for emergency use and wasn't used, you know, this past week. So, you know, he could end up practicing two, three weeks before getting into a game, you know, especially, you know, from, from a position like quarterback that requires not just the, the physical aspect, but requires the mental aspect, getting the timing and the chemistry back down that, that makes, you know, get the touch and everything that's needed to to excel you know it's hard to say how long that'll take that varies from person to person and it's about what makes what the coaching staff says okay you're ready or you're not ready uh, because we're not at practice we don't see how he's practicing we just know that he was there you know he was at practice he was practicing We don't know if he was practicing with the ones, the twos, the scouts. Uh, We don't know what the extent of what he was actually doing. Was it just a few drills? Was it full practice? We we don't know. And and you can't. I've always been in the camp of not to set too high of an expectation for yourself because you're setting yourself up for disappointment. See Mackenzie Milton last year where it was hand up that he was going to play and then he didn't uh you know after we saw that and then we've seen the the cautious and the the cautious return of jalen robinson i think we need tempered expectations here uh you know until he's the guy until they name him the guy and he's out there you know taking that first snap as far as we know it's still mikey Keene running the helm and it could be for a while longer now if it was up to me uh i i would you know I would get him as much playing time as possible against UConn, set him up for to run the, sh- the ship at USF, you know, versus USF, and then you have a bowl game down the road. It all depends on what he wants. He's played three games. One more can still maintain a redshirt season. Do you hold him out until a bowl game? Do you use him only for the USF game and and don't play him in a bowl game? Because in the end, bowl games are exhibitions. It it really depends on what he wants. What the coaching staff wants and where his actual progress is, and we can't answer any of those questions. I mean, uh, that's why uh, fans and media we 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 talk about these things and we try to figure it out, but in the end, you don't know. So I, I'm taking the stats of until he's out there, he's not out there, and I'm expecting Mikey Keen to line up behind the center against UConn.
1: All right. So let's so so running through, assuming that. All right. What do we need to see this week?
3: We need to see the running game outside of, of uh, Isaiah Bowser do something consistently. I think Mark Anthony Richards, I know he's been dealing with some legging, you know, beat up. Uh, he's a little dinged up, uh, but I understand. He a long that long run
1: last week against SMU looked really good. Oh, uh,
3: looked really good. Um, but he, he got a little dinged up, but I, I heard he's going to be okay. They need him more than anyone else in that backfield outside of Bowser, to to be able to to play front and center. Uh, The whole dynamic of the team changed in the second half when he was there and making things happen. He has a combination of size and speed and the ability to break tackles uh, that forced the defense to respect the run. If you actually look at the box score, it was very close in the second half. UCF outgained SMU in the second half of the game. It was by a little bit. They both had a little over 200 yards, but UCF did better. The defense was off the field for longer periods of time, was able to rest and recharge and come back out there with a little more renewed energy. Whereas in the second quarter and the late part of the first quarter, offense couldn't move the ball. You had three and outs and punts. Defense is back out there just getting absolutely gashed. So you need that offense, that running game, to really take point because that takes a, load, a lot of that pressure off Mikey Keene and he can you know settle in and pick his spots a lot more, and it forces the defense to not have five to six defensive backs in the backfield. Uh, you know he's still learning the game; he, he sometimes still has a propensity to to over uh, focus on a single target and throw in a double, potentially triple coverage. Uh, by having less guys in the backfield you avoid some of that you know keep them at four maybe five at the most defensive backs but if you start putting backs out there boom you got a running game that's that's you know with a guy like Richards he's hard to tackle yeah uh, you know and he's not that small of a guy you know he's he's solid and you know we've I've seen him in person he he's he's not a small guy uh he, you know he has presence and and you have to respect that so that would be my focus would be the get him on the field, give him the ball and make the defense have to respect the run. Johnny Richardson is a great change of pace back. He is not an every down back. He's just not built for it. You know, he's, he's a smaller guy and the defenses are not going to respect a smaller guy that, you know, is, can be pulled down by a single player as opposed to a thicker guy who has to, you know, be hit by two to three guys.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I it was so, it was so good to see, Mark Anthony out there. He's, uh, he's run for four touchdowns already this year. And we saw it, not just, not just in, in you know, hundred and, you know, he had over hundred yards against SMU, including a 58 yarder for the touchdown. But, you know, we saw at the, at the very tail end of the, uh, what was it? The ECU game that he scored the big, touchdown. he,
3: he carried that team. Yeah. Uh, at oh. the end of the game, he stepped in, he carried the team, took a lot of load off uh, of Keene, allowed Keen to be able to, to pick his spots and uh, you know, that was a tough situation to walk into. You know, you're down, you know, the experience isn't there of having to handle this specific situation with the guys you have on on the field in your skill positions. And he, he, he dominated and we thought at that point, we're going to see more of him. uh, And we didn't for a variety of reasons. Uh, But now that we, we have more of a, a portfolio of what he can do, you, you have to put him out there. Uh, it, it would be it'll be almost irresponsible from a football standpoint not to utilize this guy more
1: all right so uh, before we let you go here drew um odd sharks got UCF 30 and a half what do you and think and
3: yukon is, is is just so bad uh, you know they average less than uh, 15 and a half points a game uh, they like i said
1: their only win was by 6 against yale at home
3: yeah, I, I mean I, I think if UCF does what they're supposed to do, this should be an absolute blowout. Uh maybe not quite as a big of a blowout as Bethune Cookman, but I mean you could see a temple-like score in this. Um conversely, you know, Keane is an inconsistent quarterback. You know, we we've seen him go on get on fire, and we've seen him completely, you know, burn out uh in you know at different times. But I I think I think this game is going to be an absolute uh, blowout and it would be a good opportunity for UCF to empty their bench a little bit, allow some of their, the younger players to get some more playing time and, and start figuring things out ahead of next week. Cause you know, I've been ranking USF as eighth in my uh, American poll.
0: Look at and this that, guy pumping above his own pole here, big well, timer over here. Own, well, I mean, it's, let's, it's get, let's give some
1: credit here to Fear of the Wave and JP Gooderham because he puts that together every week, and and he
0: does a great
3: job. And and I'm glad that that you know Jeff finally gave yeah. it to me, and we haven't missed the boat since. I know, <laughs> but no, I, I've been I've been voting. That's what a USF responsible
1: F- editor does. You know, I'm yeah. just saying. Delegates. Delegates. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But I've been ranking them above, above Navy, which not everyone has. Here's the truth. South Florida is starting to figure it out. You know, They've got some talented guys that are just starting to figure things out. They haven't quite put it together, but they're playing well against good teams.
1: You know? They've scored 70 points, 35 points a game the last two weeks against Cincinnati and, and Houston. Now you can say, well, they had the two kickoff returns against uh, Houston, whatever, but you know what? are still getting points. They're still scoring points. Timmy McLean looks like he's figuring it out. It, it's and here's the other thing. Do you do you UCF, really want to take that team lightly right now? And, and I
3: don't. UCF's kick coverage is only fair. uh They've given up some some big returns. Uh, and so I mean, either way,
1: special teams or not, at least, I don't want to take. I'm I'm not taking that team lightly right you now. Sh-
3: and you shouldn't. And I, I know, agree. I know Why? some people are. Don't. It's kind of like too late. Don't let the record fool you. Uh, there's a reason why re- Tulane is not the may have the worst record in the conference, but is not the worst ranked team in the conference. That 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 goes to Temple, who has uh, uh, an upset win over Memphis, which came out of nowhere, a- an FCS win, and a lot of duds. You know, Tulane is not an easy team to play against. Uh, they just can't put it together and put a win together. Same thing with South Florida. They're not an easy team, but they're figuring it out. And and I don't think UCF can afford to to overlook that game. And and I don't think the team's going to.
0: No, no, they're you know, not gonna do that. They're, they're not gonna do they're that. They're
3: not going to. I, I can tell you there are fans that are. Uh,
0: but but that but that's to your point, it's to kind of piggyback. That's why if Dylan Gabriel is cleared and is ready to go, you play him. This not I, I, I don't want to hear about, hey, let's redshirt shirt him for you know no no you play him the south florida game in particular that's an important game for many reasons and we'll get into that more next week but if he's healthy and he's cleared you play him cuz he gives you the best chance to win period
3: yeah. well he's he's your number one guy if you yeah. have the opportunity to play your
0: best guys you do yeah don't worry about 2023 the odds of him sticking around here in 2023 are slim i mean well you know.
3: i thought if he played the season out he was gone after this year and i right. and- you know, I still believe that would have been the case at this point. Now all bets are off uh, just because he has such a small body of work under a non air raid system. Uh, Part of what's dogged him is the fact he's viewed as a system quarterback because that's what air raid quarterbacks are. Uh, They're viewed like that and it it hurts them in their pro prospects. So this was an opportunity for him to play in a, a, an offense that would be much more uh, friendly towards the pros, but, you know, life got in the way and he got hurt and he hasn't been able to play. So this may, this could change his plans. It's hard to say. Uh, He's got plenty of time to think about that, but all we know is he's back at practice. He's at least they're at least working for a return, but until he's back, this is still Mikey's uh, still Mikey's team. and, And we have to go with that assumption until otherwise noted.
1: All right. Well, we shall keep an eye on it as we move forward into uh Yukon week here Eric who is our TV crew for this game
0: our boy uh leger is gonna be doing the game on ESPN plus all
1: right short short drive for lege for leger he can hang out he's with he can do uh, it from Hunter. his house do <laughs> yeah, it from his house uh kickoff at 4 p.m by the way they announced the uh war on i4 will be on ESPN the mothership at 3 30. On Black Friday, good time slot, right, Eric?
0: Yeah, it's okay. It's not great. Uh, it
1: probably... li- listen. They didn't shuffle this thing down to ESPN two at noon. No, but
3: I mean, you're going head it to head. It was never again. an option. Right, right, uh, right. From right, what was... I understand, from before the season was ever started, oh,
1: yeah, that's right. It was three thirty or 3:30 seven. Three thirty or Correct. seven. So the question wasn't their what... ABC right. or ESPN.
0: Right, ABC, uh, Cincinnati, East Carolina. Rightfully so, is the ABC game uh, that day. By the way, this Connecticut game. 500th UCF football game ever, ever. And uh, I actually recommend go to the Beat of Sports uh, on their site. Jeff, you know where the site is. Mark Daniels interviewed Brian Schmitz, who actually covered the first ever UCF football game against St. Leo.
1: At at St. Leo.
0: At St. Leo. So they talk about that. So the 500th game of UCF football this Saturday, boys. Yeah.
1: You know it's wow, amazing. Will... WFTV Channel Nine. They they found that archival footage of that game, and you know it's kind of like, it's like old Betamax footage, you know. But it it's <laughs> it's a little it it's a little, uh, you know, it's got some little digital hits on it, you know, kind of like a VHS tape from thirty years ago. That's kind of a little wonky, you know. It's been played a few too many times, but they found the footage of that game, and it is it is remarkable. How many FBS programs have footage? Of their first ever game
3: not many that. because tv many. uh video didn't exist for most of them
1: right some of them may have most some film some grainy film from like you know but but there's i mean there's a lot of programs that were around you know in the 1800s you know and all they have is just you know uh, newspaper clippings or something from that you know but but you see ucf has been documented the most, the most thoroughly documented FBS football program in history in terms of digital media. I mean, you know, as a division three team, I mean, it's really remarkable when you think about it, 500 games. Let's see what the next 500 ha- has in store for us. It should be fun. Three, uh, excuse me, four o'clock against UConn ESPN plus. Uh, this will be the War eighth
3: matchup between the two programs. Eighth. Oh, by the and way, hopefully you, the last.
1: Okay, Drew, Um, the trophy, any word on that?
3: yeah the real one or the fake one
1: you <laughs> know about the fake one someone's got it but the real like, one disappeared
3: after it was left on the field and has never been seen which, since. it no,
1: it got it, it was it was picked up by someone in a, in one of those john deere gator things and then driven and it's off. never been seen again it has not been seen since that's like the zapruder film of the conflict um you think we're gonna see it no no <laughs> no is it in um, Bob Diaco it's in Bob What's the funniest thing It's like it's in Bob Diaco's storage you know storage shed or whatever
3: keeps it under the bed it's at, as as a security blanket because uh it was his it credit was, he created it now let let Bob learn his lesson if you want to manufacture a rivalry you need a multi billion dollar conglomerate supporting it See ESPN back in UCF versus Marshall. That's how you build a rivalry. (laughs) You need someone to hype the living daylights out of it.
1: Yeah. Well, I listen. You know who the head coach of UConn was the last time they won the Civil Conflict?
3: Wasn't Bob Diaco? Well, it it lived and died with him.
1: Bob Diaco, 2015. He created
3: it, and and he was there at the very end of it. And that's why I think he somehow you know what? Ended I think up he looks
1: it. at that thing and he says, "You know what? It served my purpose.
3: I built that. <laughs>
1: I built that." And 2014, it was it was 20 that game in 2014. So, all right, one of the biggest fluke losses in UCF history. Oh, is that loss to UConn in 2014. Painful loss. Looking back on it in Hartford, I mean, it, it made
3: could, no sense.
1: Yeah, it's just it, that's ult, one of those top five ultimate. Drew, this this is an off-season column for you and me. Okay. And Eric. Like top five ultimate UCF head scratching losses. <laughs> that's definitely. I, I, you, I'll let you guys handle the negativity on that. that. Oh, it's yeah. not negativity. That's like, oh man, what could have happened? There? Anyway. Well, it's I
3: mean, it's not being negative so much as it just is what it is. It well, already well, has it's,
1: it's not being negative at all. It's remembering where you came from. Okay. <laughs> and laughing
3: you, at it because
1: and, you know, that's all you can do. Every program's got them. Every program's got him.
3: I mean, UConn's is how many years running now? I mean, every year they have another one of
1: how no, do we even no. Like, no why are we no, even still a program? You don't, to, you don't need to think too hard about why UConn loses football games. Okay. It's fairly obvious. <laughs> All right. Uh, Stat Boy, you're on Twitter. Andrew Glukov joining us uh, here on the Black Gold Banner Podcast. When we return. Time to talk a little hoops. TY Taylor Young UCF analyst uh, for uh, for basketball on the radio alongside Mark Daniels joins us to talk about UCF's 3 0 start. They got the victory over Jacksonville last night. It was a tough one, but they pulled it out, especially on the heels of that victory over miami to Coral Gables. Uh Eric and I will be talking to TY here in just a second. Stick around the Black and Gold Banneret podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Bannerette podcast. Let's talk a little UCF men's hoops. Knights are 3-0. and It was a little harder to get to 3-0 and than it was, than we thought it would be last night against the Jacksonville Dolphins, but the Knights get the victory on the heels of, you know, dropping 95 points on Miami and Coral Gables. JU gave uh, UCF a run, but uh, 63-54 was the final. And joining us now, the radio analyst for uh, UCF basketball alongside Mark Daniels. Former UCF Knight himself, Orlando Bourne and Brett Taylor Young joining us once again. Friend of the pod, T.Y. in the house on the
2: Black and Gold Banner at podcast. What's up, Taylor? How are you? I am doing fantastic. What's, what's good, guys? Off to an early start. You know, weather's cooling, hoop season, no complaints. I know. We had the cold front this week and it's like basketball season's here, man. It's,
1: it's time to get indoors, get warm. But you know what was not warm? are shooting in the first half <laughs> last night, man, it was rough. Um, but you know what? They pulled it together in the second half and, uh, and, and pulled away. And, you know, Eric said this last night and I thought he nailed it. Like last night was Dre Fuller's game, man. He was, I think it was uh the plus minus was plus 18 when he was on the floor he was four for four. Uh, I mean, the box score is only nine, set only nine point six rebounds, three assists, but he made so many plays last night that you know kept UCF tight when it looked like Jacksonville was trying to make a run and and really put us up against the ropes. And then when we had the lead, he helped put the game away. I mean, it, tell me when you look back at that game, you know, it, it, what does that say about UCF's depth that they can just if, if nothing's working, they just try
2: They'll just find something that works. Yeah. Mark and I were talking about this ironically in the pregame um, specific to a guy like Dre Fuller, who's worn so many different hats throughout the years at UCF. He's dealt with injuries. He's been on teams that have dealt with injuries. And now he finds himself in a little bit of an unknown role as far as kind of where he sits in the lineup. And I, I think a couple guys. Uh, find themselves in in that role. Just due to the depth, there's just so much talent. And so before the game, we're talking about what a challenge that can be um, for players. Um, And also it can be, you know, there's luxuries that come, you know, come with it as far as coach Dawkins, being able to have all these different lineups and being able to pressure, but it also comes with a little bit of challenge to where you just don't have, like, I don't know which seven or eight guys are going to be, you know, my key guys every single night, really. There's not that consistency. So, Somebody like Dre has got to stay ready, and he doesn't know when he's going to play 25 minutes a game or 10 minutes a game or or more, right? And so for him to come in in the first half and instant offense, he he drives to the bucket um, after UCF had just been chucking three after three after three and not shooting it well. And he gets in, he goes to the rack, makes a play, thought it could have been an and one. Uh, Next couple plays, he hits a three-in transition, just a little bit of a pass fake and knocks down a three. And that was the spark that kind of let UCF get off to a, a better start in the first half. And then when you think about the second half, he made a, a similar type play with that, that uh, highlight play dunk um, where Darius Johnson pitched up to him and, um, and he finished with two hands. So I, I thought those three plays uh, were some of the biggest and most timely of the game. And I think as a player, you, you just can't underestimate how hard that can be mentally to not know where you're going to fit in and stay ready and come off cold and contribute when your number is called. So I thought he showed a ton of maturity last night. And I thought coach Dawkins did a really good job of, of uh, going with the guys that were giving him what, what he needed down the stretch and Dre, Dre Fuller was one of them.
0: Dre was a plus 18 on the court. Uh, in the victory over Jacksonville. I think that stood out. And even on Saturday in the big win against Miami, he came in at the end of the game and went six for six at the free throw line and took over after Darius Perry and Darius Johnson both fouled out. So, you know, they've used Dre in the past as a point guard. That kind of paid off in the Miami game, and it shows to this depth. You know, we've obviously talked a lot about the depth of this team. Obviously, stands out. Through three games, what else has stood out to you now as if you observe this team uh, through three games? A good question. You know, I think
2: they have an expectation and belief, uh, a posture about them that they they go out on the court and they expect and they believe that, that they're going to win the game. And I think with, uh, you know, talent, that helps. But I think also veterans, you know, guys that have played a lot of college basketball, I think that helps too. But when you see them, uh, you know, finish a game in Miami and make free throws and find ways to win. Every time it looked like Miami was making a run or making a shot, UCF would step up, make a shot or make free throws. And the same kind of happened last night where it was ugly at times offensively for UCF. And then it gets down to it. They finish the game with a 12-ball run. They did what they have to do. They make free throws to close the game. And so I think a lot of times in the pre-conference season is, is what I like to refer to it as these games you're learning how to win and you're learning, you know, the last two or three minutes that when you need to put a game away, can you put a game away? And that's, that's to me, a team skill. And and that comes with the more you do it, the more belief you have, the more execution you have it. And uh, so I'm really impressed uh, by that team specifically. Uh, They just seem like they have a belief in each other and a belief in this unit that they can be potentially a special group. What's, what's bigger for a team's confidence.
1: Winning a game like you do against Miami on the road against an ACC opponent, and I know Miami was picked twelfth in the preseason in the ACC, but I don't care. It's the ACC. Like, <laughs> it is it, it is is that bigger? Like you know, dropping ninety five points on them and just and just crushing their throat in their place, or a game like last night where you know, I know a lot of fans are like, "Oh my God, how are we going to?" you know how many games have we seen where, where you know it was like that where where we just get some some team's best punch at home it's kind of like the, the flip of the miami game right um scrappy jacksonville team that just seemed to be getting every bounce and you're thinking oh my god this you know this this is just not our night and then they just figure out a way to win what's what kind of a win is bigger for a team's confidence
2: yeah, Jacksonville too. You give them a ton of credit. I mean, they were scrappy, very physical. Yeah, they were uh, big, big team. I mean, I think they had—I don't know how many turnovers. I mean, it was like twenty-plus turnovers, twenty-five-plus turnovers, and so—and then they're still in the game. So you know, I think Jacksonville leaves there and said, "Gosh, if we clean up some of these turnovers, you know, we're we're feeling like we 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 played well enough to win that game." Yeah, turnovers on are the flips, Twenty-four to eight. Twenty-four. Twenty-four to eight. Yeah. yeah. And that, that was to me the difference in the game. UCF got more possessions, uh, took care of the ball. Um, you know, I think road wins are huge. I, I think so. If you, if you had to, if, if there was a binary comparison with those two games, I think anything on the road, regardless of where somebody's picked, and, and it happens to be say what you want, the name on the jersey, Miami, does matter. Um, You know, those big brands to go into their place and take care of business like they did, where they really handled the pace and the tempo of the game and dictated their style. Um, I I think that gives you a ton of confidence. I think that's the hardest thing to do in college basketball is to win on the road. And I think, you know, you develop the ability to get comfortable in that setting and spoiling people's party. And and in conference season, there's going to be plenty of big road games. And so I think that will help them a ton uh, just to get that early big road win.
0: Darren Green uh, I've been very impressed with through the three games I, I you know prior to this season we kind of think of him as just an outside shooter three-point shooter can shoot from anywhere in the court but I've liked his mid-range game he has a step back game he has a fade he was unbelievable in the Miami game Johnny Dawkins even said after the Miami game you know when they needed some go-to place they went to him is he the most improved player of the returners that you've seen so far
2: yeah, I mean, he, he uh, he's certainly, certainly showing like he is. Um, you know, I, I've heard that he's worked tremendously hard in making himself um, a bigger threat off the bounce. Um, you can see the comfort level. Uh, I mean, we know he's a knockdown shooter. I mean, he's one of the best standstill shooters. He's got a quick release. His shot preparation is just very good. Sometimes you're amazed by the way that he'll come off a screen like he did last night and his footwork and he just one-twos it. And, and he knocks it down. And so, so we know that about him, right? Um, but then you also see last night where he'll make some plays, he'll set himself, he'll rip through, he'll put it on the floor, and he makes a nice step-back move from 14 feet on the baseline, and that was one of the big shots of the second half. And so um, – and he's a great athlete. I think he's an underrated athlete. So, um, yeah, I think I think we'll see, you know, 20-plus point games from Darren Green throughout the season. And, you know, for him as, as a scorer – You know, the more he can get to the free throw line, the better. I think sometimes his big games, he's knocking down like five, six threes. You know, in reality, it'd be be nice to see him, you know, get go eight of 10 from the the free throw line. And the more he takes it to the rack and the more he kind of dictates to the defense and and is aggressive, the more he can kind of get to the paint, get to the foul line and make it easy on himself. So um, uh, yeah, I'm super excited to watch him the rest of the way.
1: You know, right now as a team, T.Y., we're shooting 82 percent from the line but Darren's shooting 50 percent <laughs> he's only three of six it's so weird you know I mean I know it'll catch up but like that's know. a
0: rhythm thing thing though don't, yeah. isn't it Ty, when you don't get to the line as often sometimes you even though you're a great shooter it could be tough to get a rhythm in the free throw line if you're not getting to the uh to the stripe that often
2: yeah no I, I think for sure um you know one of the things too I, I always joke about it, it's like Michael Jordan scored a lot of points, but you know how many times he got to the free throw line. I mean, he would have nights oh, yeah. where he'd hit, you know, 14, 15, 16 free throws and, and he would score 35s. Right. So I think for scores, too, it's just it's a little bit of a scoring hack. You know, it's like go go get 20, but go get eight or nine of them for the free throw line. Um, you know, late in the game, be the guy that, that takes care of the basketball and they get fouled. I mean, I was joking with Mark. Uh, one of the guys, I think it was Darius Perry at the end of the game last night, held on to the ball and they, they came and fouled him. I said, Mark, man, there was no way I was giving up the ball when it was in the in the part of the game where they were coming to foul. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to score about four or five more points at the free throw line, and we used to joke about it within the locker room. of, Three uh, you know, points. I, 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 I wouldn't give, up, give right. up the ball at the end of the game.
0: Well, I mean, Brandon Mayhem is a great example of that. Like, you know, I read the Miami game, he didn't get anything going from the field, but he went 10 for 10 from the line, and he got his 15 points Obviously, in the Jacksonville game, he hit some big threes at the end of the game that really kind of helped UCF pull away. I want to ask about Brandon and Isaiah Adams. They're kind of, by their standards, off to a slow start, which is kind of what's exciting about this team. I don't think they've reached close to their potential. you know. And I think Isaiah is a great example of a guy who could use going to the free throw line to get himself into a rhythm. How, When you get off to a slow start as a shooter, how do you kind of mentally stay confident uh, is it one of those things, hey, just keep shooting, it'll come? Do you change your game? Do you be more aggressive to the basket? What, what's been your thoughts on Brandon and Isaiah?
2: Yeah, I think it's different for every guy. Um, I think for Brandon, what I was noticing last night, you know, he's just one of those guys, his degree of difficulty for his shots is, is like a 10 out of 10. <laughs> so some of the shots he takes, like you look at the first three, I think he had three uh, three-point attempts in the first half. All three of them, it's the same shot. It's off the dribble. He's kind of one of those rhythm shooters, as I would call it. So he prefers to shoot off the dribble. Um, So he's off the dribble. He's got to contest right in his face. And it's a quick release three from, you know, two, three feet behind the three point line. Right. So when you're struggling, I'm of the opinion that that's that's a shot you take late in the shot clock. Um, You take, you know, after the ball's been moved a little bit. I'd just like to see him be a little bit more aggressive of, of doing the same thing. Darren Green's kind of you're seeing him do more of is, is go seek some contact, go see some paint touches, you know. And, and, then, and then later in the shot clock or after it's been moved around, then you step up and knock down those shots. So, um, you know, you kind of almost see him work mentally to get out of that slump. And then in the second half, when he hit that first three in the second half, you can almost see this exhale and this confidence. And then of course uh, we talked about how they ran a designed play where Darius Perry went baseline and kind of jumped out of bounds and found uh, a Mayhan flattening out in the corner, knocking down his second three of the half and coach Dawkins give him a lot of credit for designing that play for Mayhan. You can see how much confidence he has, but you can also see that he just made a shot to run that through him. So, um, you know, for Brandon, I think it's shot selection, just getting better ones, but he's also proven that, that he can be streaky at times. I mean, Throughout his whole career at UCF, he'll have games where he'll have 30 on you, and he's hitting shots that you just can't believe. And then he'll have stretches of three or four games. where We'll have two two points, four points, six points, and, and he's struggling. So I think for him, getting to the free throw line, getting some easy ones, getting out in transition, and then, you know when he gets them, just stepping up with confidence. I think last night will help him a lot, just seeing the ball go in. And I think they need him to play well, right? When you have Oklahoma, you have Auburn coming up. Um, you, you need your best players to play well. So, and then Isaiah Adams, you mentioned him. You know, what I've noticed about him is just what a problem he is defensively for people. So all the different pressure looks, whether it's full court, three quarters, half court, um, even when he's guarding man to man, he's so long and he's so active that he's causing a lot of stuff and activity and deflections when he's on the floor that's not going in the stat sheet. And then I think he's just looking to find himself offensively. You know, I think we know what he can do. We still had Tulane on the road last year. He just absolutely blew up. We know he can shoot it. We know he can, he can do things off the dribble. He's a unique player. He's special, but I also think with so much talent and so many options offensively this is what we're talking about with Dre Fuller. Sometimes it's hard to settle in when you're not the guy, when you don't know you're going to get eight to 10 shots a game, like you may only get two or three shots a game. And I think that's sometimes tougher as a player because there's more pressure on when you do get a look to knock it down, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, uh, I. You know what's funny? I was looking. I was looking at the season box, and Darren is uh, nine of nineteen from three point range, and nine of eighteen from two point range, and Brandon is four of nineteen from three point range, and two of two. Yeah, from two point range. I thought that. How many years we thought that those numbers would be flipped between those two guys, right? But my my question for you is, um, Mbaké Zhang, bona fide, love that dude, bona fide rim protector that UCF was missing last year. God bless Jamil Reynolds, did the best he possibly could with all the roster problems that UCF had, the lack of depth and everything, and had a breakout year. But we saw Jamil last night. You know, he looked a lot better. I thought in his performance, his offensive game is really good. He's still kind of getting into the flow defensively. But but Mbake is the is it's just it's such a confidence builder on defense to have a dude like that, you know, who's got your back defensively. If you make a mistake and a guy gets past you, he is a disruptor down there. I mean, yeah, he has uh, what I'm looking at eight blocks on the season, but I think he's probably altered at least three times that many so far in the first three games
2: no question uh, and you what know, he only had two rebounds last night which was like i was looking at the statue and i'm like huh, is that possible i yeah. mean if you have it I, don't what you the, I don't know what
1: was in the ball man we had cj and mbake out there and somehow the ball was finding its way to jacksonville's 15 guards who were six one or shorter i don't get yeah it. yeah
2: <laughs> um but yeah i mean gosh he is just i've been so impressed uh by Zhang. i mean it's you know, also what he does so well, he's a smart player. I mean, defensively, he just gets the team concept. I mean, when you see him guard ball screens, he, 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 you know, Coach Dawkins has the luxury that, you know, late in the shot clock, he's got the type of athleticism that he can sit down, switch on a guard, and look to contest. And, 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 uh, and he can also get out there, just hedge, cause a problem, and get back. Um, but he plays so hard. I mean, even the little things that I watch, whenever he says, that's a screen and he rolls I mean, he sets that screen and he's sprinting. So a couple of times last night, they actually found him on the screen and roll. And a lot of times in, in college basketball, they don't hit the roll, man, um, you know, because they don't they don't really roll to catch. They don't sprint to the rim. And I thought he did a great job sprinting to the rim after he screens. And I thought he does a great job running in transition. Um, and then obviously around the basket, he's a real problem. But I mean, he is really, you look at Coach Dawkins teams that have done really well. You think about the, the, the team that made the run and then still play tournament. You have the rim protector in Taco Fall. And then they were one of the best in the country at guarding the three point line. That's kind of the recipe. But you can't really guard the three point line like you want to if you don't have a rim protector. Because you know, Jung makes up for mistakes that if you overplay or you get beat off the dribble, at least you have the confidence that somebody's going to have to go finish over six eleven. So I think that'll be an interesting thing uh, to watch evolve. Um, you know, and CJ Walker's settling in and kind of playing a similar role as far as just being active and deflections and getting rebounds. So those two on the on the floor, that's um, that's an athletic duo that that's fun to watch. I love yeah, that, that- when the two of them are out there.
1: I, I yeah. Mean, and I, and I don't know, like we said, last night was just one of those just one of those nights. I don't think we're ever gonna see a, a night where they're both on the floor and they get out rebounded ever again. Anyway, go ahead, Eric.
0: Well, I was, that's a big revelation, Taylor. That was one of my big questions going into the season. Is can those two play together? And they have not only ca- they can. They dominated the boards in the Miami game. And I feel like CJ's a much more better offensive player, much improved offensive player this year. I think he's playing under more control than last year, where at times he played out of control. Have you seen that from CJ?
2: Yes. And I was listening to the, the pregame interview uh, between Mark and Coach Dawkins yesterday, And I think coach Dawkins has done uh, a great job of kind of settling him into, in his own words, playing to his strengths and and understanding who he is right now and his identity as a player, right. To focus on how he can affect the game through defense and rebounding also be a guy that, you know, can go get you a bucket. And and he can also make open shots. I mean, right. He can, he can catch it on a, a pick and pop or, you know, an offensive rebound kick out and knock down a three, no problem, right? He has the skill set. But I think last year, we saw him press a little bit, you know, he's a big five star recruit, he's transferring back home, a lot of pressure to produce, still trying to figure out kind of where he fits in. And I think he's settled into his identity. And then he's only going to grow from there, right? Do what you do really well. And then continue to work on the other parts of your game that you want to improve and let those come along. Um, And so this year, like, You know, we see him putting it on the floor a little bit less, trying to handle it a little bit less. When he makes a move, he's more decisive. um, And and he's just – he's a fun player to watch. He's explosive. Um, He seems like a great teammate. You never have to worry about when – you know, how hard he's playing. Um, So I I really enjoyed Coach Dawkins' words, talking about kind of how he coached him over the summer and how he's settling in. All right, man, let's look ahead
1: to the schedule. So we got Evansville coming up this weekend. And then people think, like, what is Evansville? But this is – that's a for-real program, the Purple Aces. They're 2-2 two two this year. They lost by 22 to Cincinnati in the opener. Um, they're coming off a win against DePaul, where they beat them by 11 um, in their pre-conference schedule. They also lost to Belmont by 38. So th- th- their numbers are not – I was looking at their comparison so far. And I know it's early. We don't have a lot of data to sort of sort this out, right, limited sample size. But their scoring defense is pretty good. They're only giving up 61 a game. And uh, and so they're gonna. It seems like they're gonna try and get this thing down and dirty, right? You know, just just stick it into the trenches a little bit and try and make a mess of things. So, um, so that's our only game coming up. You know, we've got plenty of time to prepare, but that's a Eric, you said right? That's a tricky road. Game. Oh yeah,
0: a tricky game, right? Uh, Taylor, you're going to a place you're not used to going, Evansville, in You know, I mean, it's like. I've always found those road trips to be a little kind of nerve wracking uh, to me as a fan, as a player, when you're going to a place you're not used to going, is that like going into a, a Hoosier little, gym, you know, is that a little unsettling? How, what do you, yeah. as a player, how do you adapt when you're going to a place that you probably have never been to in your life before?
2: Yeah, I remember uh, we, we had a road trip when I was playing and we went to Colorado, into we Boulder, Colorado, which was great. It was a good game. We lost. And then we parlayed that trip into South Dakota, <laughs> and um, right. the South Dakota state <laughs> remember that yeah and the jack, jack rabbits, rabbits man yep and uh i just remember how tough that environment was and how weird of a <laughs> a setting it was you know it was like we were at the applebees in South Dakota and 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 next to applebees is a bunch of cornfields and you know it was just it was such a weird and i remember the coaching staff just trying to find ways to keep guys focused um And this time of year, right, it's like, you know, normal people are kind of settling in, maybe spending time with their family. We're gearing up for the holidays. Students are gearing up for exams. Um, I think you have to just you have to be aware of that and you have to fight that and you have to lock in. Uh, Similar to last night, you know, you look at J.U. at home after a big win against Miami. Well, what's the goal is the goal to get the win? Yes, of course. It's, It's important to build your resume. It's important to win, but it's important to be better every single game. And you treat the Evansville trip that way is, is you're going up, it's hard to plan the road you got to bring it, but you also have to get better every single game. If you want to do something special, you got to have the mentality that we're just laying brick by brick by brick and, and going to Evansville is a big brick to lay. And then obviously you have Oklahoma coming back home and you want to feel good, you know, going into those big games. And so hopefully they put on a, a good performance and, and have a good road trip and, uh, but yeah, I do think it's different when you go to settings, smaller towns. You know, for me, that was always that was always different. That was always different.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's very different, and you know, players can't look ahead to schedules, but us in the media, we can. So, you know, and you've brought yes. it up. Otherwise, and, we would have literally nothing to do. So, yeah. and, and Taylor, I, not an accident. You've brought up Oklahoma a couple times. I know you've got it circled. Oklahoma coming into here, and Michigan. At the end of the month. And I want to ask you that. Somebody who's played in the program as an alum, but also obviously an analyst. You're going to be courtside. I've said that that Michigan game in particular is the biggest non-conference home game in the history of this program. To bring a brand like Michigan, those jerseys, uh, a team that, by the way, can win the Big Ten and be a Final Four contender. And then Oklahoma. This is an incredible schedule that coach Dawkins has built. I'm not even bringing up the road game at Auburn. Auburn could be an sec favorite with the players he's got, like uh, he's brought in there as well, but as somebody who's played there, what, what jumps to, what comes to your mind when you see those teams? Cause you're going to be, you're going to be there courtside to see it.
2: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I think it shows, you know, the growth of the program, um, you know, I think it uh, to get those kind of brands, you know, in Orlando and and too, just to just kind of show off the facilities. I mean, UCF has so much to offer. The basketball program has so much to offer. I still think it's underrated as far as the experience go. The fan base in Orlando is still kind of connecting with the team and getting the exposure of Orlando out to see games. And I think those big brands help the people that are just, you know, the common Orlando folk that looking for something to do. And they go, Oh yeah, let's go to the Michigan game. I've had so many friends reach out, you know, and I've been doing the radio and yeah, like I haven't missed a home game and I don't know how many years, but they're like, yeah, we're looking at going to UCF game. And they never have been to a UCF game. Um, and so, you know, specifically the Michigan game, cause I think the timing of it, um, is, I think it's going to be sold out. I think, I think you're going to have a lot of Michigan fans come out. Um, yeah. And I think it's I think it's a huge deal. And I also think that it's awesome that we're we have a talented, deep roster that can compete with those teams. No problem um, to where I think it's going to be a really good basketball and good game. And I think we have a good shot to 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 win a few of those games, if not all of them.
1: Yeah, that's that's. That's gonna be an early season and like it's gonna feel like a sweet six. It's gonna be amazing.
0: Florida State yeah. and Sunrise. I, I forgot to mention, by the way. That's also big, too, coming off the win last year. I mean, it's impressive what Coach Dawkins has built as a schedule. Quick thought Darius Johnson, very highly recruit. Uh Johnny Dawkinson in his media day kind of has a little BJ Taylor in him. Um and he's already trusted him. He started him in the Miami game. He's obviously playing some minutes at times with CJ uh, with Darius Perry off the uh, off the ball. What's been your thoughts on Darius Johnson?
2: I just love watching him. I said to Mark, he's like a he's like a jacked Mateen Cleaves meets BJ Taylor meets Marcus Jordan. Uh, you I know I, that comparison. I think <laughs> uh, uh, I think his you know his body comes in. He's ready to play. He's, he seems like a great athlete um also has a very low base as far as the way he defends like he's one of those guys just by watching him like as a player I I look at guys that I don't want to guard and then guys that I don't want to guard me like and he would be one of those guys that I wouldn't want to guard me I'd be like man this guy's gonna just haunt me all night he's got this low base he's got really quick hands he's got really quick feet he's strong he's gonna bump me a little bit when I get by him um and then offensively you know, he seems more of like a true point guard where he's making, you know, yeah, he's making some freshman errors, but he's most of the time making the right play. He's a good passer. So something little, even when you see an open shooter in transition or during a play, he puts it to where that player can just go right into their shot. Um, So just the little details like that. um, And and he's he's a huge recruit for the program. Um, I love that he's getting this much uh, playing time. He's going to continue to get this much playing time you've seen at times like coach Dawkins would just roll with him. Um, he's got a ton of confidence in him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm really, really excited about um, him being here for sure. He's, he's rebounding
1: well too, you know, it's 2.3 rebounds, a year, you know, it, 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 and you can see like, even though like the offensive game hasn't, he's still like, you know, getting used to that. I mean, defense travels like, you know, right. So, you know, he's got four steals on a season, which is set, which is a third, third on the team. And, you know, even though he's gotten into foul trouble a couple of times, I think that's just because he's so aggressive on defense. I think that's, that's, which, which, you know, I like to see, especially from a young guy, like if the offense isn't coming to you, defend the heck out of the ball. And, and I think that's been working for him. All right. Last question for you, T.Y. before we let you go. Um, What do you want to see in this next three days, this game against Evansville before we have the week off to play Oklahoma we're gonna be watching this game on ESPN Plus, um, and they play. By the way, they, Evansville plays in this eleven thousand gorgeous eleven thousand seat arena in Evansville, Indiana, of all places. It's not like they
2: play in some gym somewhere. I thought that they did, but they opened up. the <laughs> going
1: They like their
0: hoops up there in that region. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I,
2: yeah. I was so, gonna say, man, anything in Indiana. I know those people love basketball, man. So we we'll, sometimes we we have trouble drawing crowds here in Orlando. You know, there's too much to do, but. You know, up in Indiana, man, basketball is life. So I expect a pretty good crowd for sure. hey Their head coach um,
1: Todd Lickley, yeah, and
2: and, and also to expand uh, on Darius Johnson, is you know he doesn't he doesn't need for him too. You mentioned you know not yet getting it going offensively. Uh, obviously, we know he's very capable to score, um, but he doesn't need to score on this team, which is a beautiful thing. It's kind of like a quarterback, a rookie quarterback that comes in and they can learn from somebody that first you know first year, and there's so much value with, you know, not just throwing him out there with a weak offensive line and just getting teed off on and going two and 10, right? Like he's got the ability to affect the game defensively where he's an elite defender and then run a true point guard type of deal. He's got scores all around him. And then he can have the rest of his career to be a score if, if that's what he molds into. But this year he doesn't need to be. He can just pick his spots and uh, that's exciting. And then, you know, I think the next couple of days, what you want to see going up to Evansville, um, It's just improvement. It's just progress. It's just further developing the chemistry and getting a better feel for Coach Dawkins to see what lineups he's going to like. And, uh, you know, I think, too, they always play hard, which is very exciting Uh, when you watch them. You don't really have to worry about if they're going to come out lackadaisical. They are always playing hard. I just I think for them, shot selection comes to mind. I'd like to see this, the shot selection improve a little bit. I think you walk a fine line between playing fast, pressing, wanting more pos- wanting more possessions. But then you also walk a fine line of taking shots early in the shot clock that are contested from deep three. Um, and, and you saw that how that affected the game um, early on. So I like playing fast. I like more possessions. I like the pressure but if we could just tweak our shot selection and get a little bit more at the basket early on in shot clock and pick our spots a little bit better. Um, I just don't know if, if we're a team that's going to shoot 33s a game and, and get away with it. I mean, I, I think, I think we can shoot effectively and, and maybe shoot 23s a game, make eight to 10. Um, so that, that was just the feeling last night is that we're, I think they're too talented to live and die by the three point line, but I also love them playing fast. But so going up to Evansville on the road, I think shot selection comes to mind a little bit. All right. And it's going to be – it is going to be a good test up there because
1: I think that place is going to be a little bit more intense than maybe the fans are thinking because, like you said, it's Evansville, it's Indiana. Um, uh, what do you call it? Todd Lickleiter is their head coach. He was the coach yeah. at, at Butler before Brad yeah. Stevens took over, uh, coached at Iowa. So this, this – it's, it's,
0: it's a basketball it, school, you know? Yeah. This, this is, is, there, is there's a, a basketball big day.
2: environment. It's going to feel like no, – No Disney World up there, man. There's
1: no yeah. Disney World. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> there's no universe. There's no, there's no
0: like, there's no like good 80 degree weather up there either. Probably. There's, there's
1: but, just the Ford center and purple aces basketball, man. And they yeah, have a yeah, high- dude,
2: the purple aces. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, even the weather, I mean, they got people just going to the game, just to get out of the cold, man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I-
1: that's what it's all about, man. That's what Dr. James Naismith intended. Right. You know, that's
2: yeah. it's cold up here in Springfield. All right.
1: Taylor young. You can find him at uh, is it Taylor
2: B young on Twitter? I'm pretty poor these days at Twitter, but yes, it is Taylor. You got to work Twitter. on that, man. You know, I know I'm, I'm on Instagram a little bit more. Um, I haven't tweeted in like maybe seven years. So, and let, you know, yeah, you're more I am an I'm Instagram good. guy. I, I am an Instagram guy. It's Taylor B young. It's the same handle. But, you know, you'll catch me, Jeff. I'll hit a retweet maybe maybe once a quarter. So um, for anybody that loves a good retweet every three months, that would, that would be good, three or four months. Eric, we got we to gotta get T.Y. into the UCF Twitter mafia here.
0: Well, uh, hey, look, I just enjoy him on the radio. I'm just glad to hear him back on the radio with Mark. How many years have you done this now with Mark now? How many years are you going on this? You're a vet now.
2: Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we were talking about this. Um, I think this is going, so I started, so I graduated, my last season was 10-11. So I started right after I graduated. So the first year I was commentating was 11-12. So we were debating whether it's my 10th or 11th season, Um, but it's definitely been 10 years regardless. Wow. Which is crazy, (laughs) you know, because I don't know if you guys have seen, you've seen obviously uh, Jermaine Taylor at the games, and he's seemed like helping out and uh, helping the staff out and, um you know, it's good reconnecting with him. He's one of my favorite people ever. Just got inducted to in the Hall of Fame, of course. Um, but but we were like joking about it, how long it's been, and uh, you kind of just pick up where you left off when, when you last saw each other. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a decade. I'm an old oh, guy wow, now, man. Time absolutely It was
1: that, and you're that right. is incredible. It's so good to see Jeremy. I was you know I was curious about that because I saw him you know hanging out around around the bench and you know talk with people and um, and it's good to see him back helping the staff out. And I was talking with him too, on opening night against, against Robert Morris. You know, I, you know, we, we saw each other and took that picture of you guys. So um, that's, that's so good. And I love the fact that Johnny is, you know, I saw a couple other alumni over there. Uh, I think, who who is it? Was it Dwight McCombs, I think. And I think I saw one other guy, I forget who it was, but um, it's so it, 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 And Johnny makes an emphasis of that, right? Like bringing guys back home.
2: Right. Yeah. I think too, you know, I, I think like we're, I'm in a Facebook group with a bunch of, alumni, basketball alumni, I think we've all tried to just, you know, be, be around and do one event a year where people come back. And I think that's a big part of building, you know, lasting program is to, to, you know, Hey, it matters that, that, that you played here and it matters that, that, you know, you, you contributed. And I think somebody like Jermaine, um, you know, seeing him involved just because of, you know, his exposure and his career and, you know, the people that kind of know who he is, I think that's a, a big key. So I've, I've had a lot of people reach out like Troy Lindbeck um, reached out to me and say, Hey, is that Jermaine behind the bench? And, and, you know, that starts a whole dialogue and, and a couple other guys. Uh, so I, I think the more, more, the better with, with the alumni involvement, for sure.
1: That's good. And you're, and you're right there with him. So Taylor Young joining us here on the black and gold banner podcast T Y. Thanks again, man. We love your insight. Thanks for helping us out. And, Understand and helping us understand, you know, not just this team but the game so much better. It's always cool to pick your brain. We love it. Look forward to having you on again uh, sometime soon. Right?
2: Thanks, man. And hey, if you put this on Twitter, I will retweet it. Be <laughs> <laughs> with us. All Thanks right. you again,
1: man. Stick around. We'll be right back. We are back on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, and time to uh, open up the grab bag with Bryson Turner here to uh, take a look at what's going on around the world of UCF sports. Bryson, we got a lot going on, man. It would start off well. Sad note to start off, so as we have to start with uh, men's soccer. Who, um, man, they put up a fight in the American. Uh, ter- First of all, blitzed Memphis six to nothing to get to the American uh, tournament championship. It got delayed from Saturday to Sunday. They played against Tulsa. Tulsa is the number two team in the country in the in the uh, coaches poll. Um, fought hard in this game. Uh, it, it was Tulsa went up one nothing. This is at Tulsa. Gino Vv had a had a golazo of the highest order to tie the game, and it looked like UCF just was dominating the action in the second half, dominating the action, but Tulsa just they figured out a way and they got, they got maybe two chances and two decent chances in the second half. And they capitalized on one in the final minutes. Um, and UCF goes down two to one and it's looking unfortunately like the season's over for UCF men's soccer that they are not, it, that they are not going to get to the, uh, to the NCAA tournament. Their RPI is just too low at this point, but you know, what can you say about this team You know, that, you know, even when it looked like after that that late season slide, boy, they really picked up and they were just that close to it, that close.
4: Well, let me tell you something, Jeff, because I took a little bit of a look at the at the stats from the game and I found an interesting trend. I noticed that near the end of the season. Even though we have the, if last I checked we have the we had the least number of fouls in the total of the conference through the whole season, our foul totals per game have, were increasing as the season went on. We had the, the most fouls that we had in a single match this season was 15 in our last match against Tulsa in the regular season finale. How many? And Tulsa and in that matchup Tulsa had single digits. I can't remember exactly the number, but it was in single digits. In this game, the conference championship game, same exact story. We had 14 fouls while Tulsa had five. So if I had to say the big, and looking at the rest of the stats, which were pretty even, I think the biggest difference between Tulsa and UCF is that Tulsa was just a more disciplined team and th- which, of course, allowed Tulsa to have more chances with with the ball and allow them to you know h- get the scoring opportunities that that they did. Now UCF obviously did dominate uh, dominate possession a little more in the second half which was great. Um, unfortunately, you know that brings us to the other issue that men's soccer had this season. They they just could not find uh, did not have a consistent goalie this season after the departure of Yannick Ertl. We started the season with Matt Douglas then later on, he was replaced with redshirt freshman Tyler Levine, who went on for a majority of the season until he gave up nine goals in his last two games that he played. And then, Bernard redshirt sophomore Bernardo Brandau, makes his collegiate debut in the regular season finale against Tulsa, and then he played in the conference tournament. Now, I will say that major props have to go to the UCF defense for you know for taking the load off of Brandao, but unfortunately, as we saw as we saw here you know um he's made his first three starts and we couldn't really ask all that much and you know we he did as much as he could and you know they just said they
1: just got a good opportunity
4: they got and you know we put a lot of pressure on
1: them in that half and we had to because we knew we had to win um you know Tulsa could have kind of sat back but they didn't want to do that they they you know Tulsa wants to hoist that trophy you know and 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 credit to them they uh they found the spot when they needed to UCF finishes uh, finishes up right now. They're at nine and eight RPIs, 55 well, their seasons
0: over they are. the Eric selection show yeah. happened already. So yeah, they're so their Eric, done. yeah.
1: yeah the RPI is at 55. So that's done. And it's honestly, um, what
4: re- honestly what really irks me is about the, about this team is that the record really does not describe how, how much talent this team has because Luca Dorado when you look at this look at it Luca Dorado Gino Vivi Nick Taylor I'm Mauricio Villalobos, I mean, the talent I've seen. Well, the- it
0: was an inconsistent year. They were inconsistent. They had great moments. They didn't look. They were in position to make the tournament. Then they lose that match at overtime at home to South Florida. Then they get blitzed by SMU, lose at yeah. Tulsa. The, Me- the Memphis loss, I think, to start the
1: conference season is yeah. also a head scratch. That's another one.
0: They were just inconsistent. Both soccer teams were similar in that they were both inconsistency. You saw some of the potential at the high points, but then also just, you know, frustrations there. Eric, let me ask you a question mm-hmm. in,
1: like, the final analysis of this. Mm-hmm. To what extent do you think the uh, playing this the season in the spring due to COVID and then playing again in the fall had to do with that?
0: I think a, a, a little bit, but remember, everybody's going through that. Uh, but uh, I will say this. Keep this in mind. This team had won three straight conference championships. Uh, made, and it, by the way, made it to the conference championship game five years in a row. And made two straight sweet 16s. I think, and Bryson alluded to the discipline I think there was some mental fatigue too with this group. I think at times there was like, you know, you've won so much you're the target, everybody's going after you. I think some teams were definitely their game plan was to be more physical with them, try to make them lose their cool and I think you saw that from the get-go with FIU and I think you just saw a team that, we've seen this analogy used in other sports. We saw it at the end of the game with that Tulsa kid who flopped. Did you see that? He flopped, right, because they're trying to get to the UCF nerves. We've seen this narrative in in pro sports with the team that's gone to like two or three straight Super Bowls. How that t- you you know, the NBA team that's gone to consecutive NBA finals, and you play so many games, it's almost like you're playing an extra year. I think this team was fatigued. I don't think they got up for every game. And look, you lost an, a great goalkeeper, a guy who's to me is the second greatest goalkeeper of all time. You're just not going to replace him in a year. So I think it was an inconsistency there. Same with the women. I think that played a factor. I think they're, they're all a factor. It just is what it is.
1: I think they're. I think. I think both programs are going to be relieved to have a
0: normal spring. Well, you say regroup. that though, but you say that, but Coach Calabrese says he is a proponent of a two semester sport, so this is this would be the norm right, if he right. got it. Right. Well,
1: no, it wouldn't be because this fall was a was what we a quote normal end quote season. If they right, go right, to right, that right. year round Correct. mode, it won't be quite on as fast forward as it will. It, it'll be like half of
0: what we saw. Yeah. No, that's true you're right you're right, 100% so, right on that you're so I, right about so I that think
1: that's so I, so I think that's you know and I by the way I hope they do that
0: well and I've talked to people in the know uh, Travis Clark who covers soccer in 24-7 for a uh, top drawer soccer he's told me they're that's very close to being done to being a, a wow. done deal on the men's side. Do Does not have a ex-
1: timetable or
0: no, they still haven't figured that out because everybody's still kind of getting over the pandemic stuff. And plus there's conference realignment that is affecting soccer. Oh yeah. that.
4: <laughs> hey, <laughs> oh, conference, hey, conference USA seems to be stabilizing a little bit now. Yeah. Uh,
0: but here, here, here's uh, we'll see, but, well, but, but real I quick, I, I think the men's <laughs> soccer thing will, uh, pass at some point the women will not the women coaches are against it so that will stay once from what he is hearing so those are a couple factors there uh human i wonder yeah, why so, that is you have to ask those coaches i'm just from what have he that, has heard i have
1: to ask coach coach well, and i think
0: she's that. not a for that either and now again in the men's side there's more pressure they feel like to develop guys to play in the mls than maybe there is on the women's side to play professionally who knows hmm. uh deal the other thing realignment i mean you look at ucf men's soccer the biggest question this offseason, obviously the goalkeeping situation on the field will be interesting to follow, and obviously they'll lose some personnel and things like that because uh, they had, this was a veteran team. But the biggest question, obviously, and I think we'll have to have an answer by this offseason is, where is UCF men's soccer going to call home? after next season will it be in the american will they get to stay or they have to move i hope they stay because the tulsa thing is a rivalry SMU's a rivalry south florida's a rivalry it's just natural so hopefully it works out for that
1: i know well you know, it, it, may, it may, I, may not be up to ucf correct that's the other thing right
4: well I'll, right. I'll say this i look i there was some numbers that were recently released that ucf's men's soccer social media interactions rank as one of the top 10 among men's soccer programs uh, th- throughout the country. And so obviously that, but obviously when, you know, you think about brands Um and so the, Amer- I would think one motivation the American could have for keeping men's soccer is because of UC of UCF's brand. Uh, quite possibly. That's a good
1: point. That's a really good point, actually. Awesome. I, I, You know, right. it's, and the fact that, you know, you can maintain, like Eric said, those rivalries that, you know, you can pay that people pay attention to. Um. I don't know. It's really interesting. We wrote about that last week, so make sure you check that out. Bryson Turner and myself talk, you know, speculating about what conference UCF men's soccer could go into. So, uh, by the way, real quick, before we wrap on men's soccer, uh, Tulsa has a first round bye. They're a six seed. They are a national seed. They play the winner of Missouri State and Creighton. Um, uh, should they get through that, they would play likely the eleven seed on the other side of them is West Virginia interestingly enough uh the only other big future big future or current big 12 program with men's soccer um eric where how far are you thinking tulsa gets
0: they can win the national championship uh, okay if they get everybody back they were actually shorthanded in the championship game they were without three of their top four scores if they yeah, get everybody one other back... guy
1: got hurt in the game too Correct. for them
0: so uh i think they can get to the college cup Although West Virginia is a tricky matchup, but I think they can get to the College Cup. And that's the beauty of men's soccer of all the college sports is the most parody there. Where, uh, you know, Marshall, FIU, for crying out loud, is a national title contender. Marshall, the defending national champs, they are on the same side of the bracket as Tulsa.
1: Woo. They would play them <laughs> later on down the line. Marshall's a 14 seed. They're matched up against three seed Georgetown if they get that far.
0: That's going to be wild. It's always an unpredictable tournament because a lot of the mainstream programs don't play men's soccer, if you will, like yeah. the SEC doesn't sponsor it. The Big 12 doesn't. So there, there's not that like, hey, buy, you know, deal there. There's a lot of equal footing there. So I think they can go deep. I think it's they can go deep. I think that's why, to me, men's soccer has the most uh, fair... Deal now. I actually kind of wish they would go to 64. I'm not a fan of 48, but I understand why they do it because there's not like everybody plays men's soccer. But I think they can go to the College Cup for sure. All right,
1: cool. All right, well, so uh, nonetheless, bummer of an end for uh, UCF men's soccer, but a regular spring.
0: Well, they're they're over They're the number two ranked team in the country in the polls, and they're a six seed. So you know what? It doesn't matter. An eight in
1: the RPI, I think. Uh,
0: They were somewhere around there. Somewhere there, yeah. Yeah. Anyway.
1: All right, uh, Bryson, let's talk women's basketball. Uh, splitting to open up the season. Wiped out Duquesne, uh, which we talked about, you know, obviously, last show. But you know, the big matchup on Friday against Tennessee. You know, the defense was on full display. Held Tennessee to 49 points, but just couldn't get enough offense. The Knights played tonight, Wednesday night. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon against Virginia in Charlottesville. Uh, that game's on ACC network plus which you can get as part of ESPN plus if I'm not mistaken right Eric that is correct you should, should be able to so um but I want to talk about that Tennessee game because I thought you know, Diamond Battles um you know played uh, it, it, you know really I, I left it all out there on the floor 21 points on 6 of 15 she was 7 to 7 at the line four rebounds um they just didn't quite Have enough offense? UCF just shot just fourteen of fifty-two in this game. That's twenty-six point nine percent. Held Tennessee to thirty-four, but just couldn't get the shots to fall.
4: Yeah, I would I would agree that Diamond Diamond Battles, in my opinion, is one of the most impressive players on this roster. And so to to see her efforts end up coming uh, to not not really able to to I guess pull the team. Over Tennessee is very disappointing. It's a close game, so I mean, I think if that tells us anything, I think that uh, that this team it can certainly compete with some of the blue the blue blood women's basketball programs that are out there. A uh, great second half, rally all other way against Duquesne that that was a great job as well. However, one one um, player that I know that I noticed that I would that I wanted to pay attention to was Anna Bernie, who did a fairly solid job in the in the th- in, with the three-pointer she's really been going at it around the arc that around the arc this time what eric what is up with coach
1: abe and all these three-point shooters all of a sudden
0: well i mean they've they know they have to shoot more from the perimeter i mean a great example was the tennessee game because the tennessee game took ucf's inside game out masony cabo's in foul trouble the whole night they have they're long they're big So they basically dared UCF to hit from the perimeter, and Diamond was the only one that could hit shots. I think the rest of the team outside of Diamond was like 8 for 35. And Abe was upset after the game. The bench, you know, this team is supposedly deep. They haven't really gotten production out of their bench so far through two games. That's got to change uh, to use that depth experience there. So, other players other than Diamond's got to step up. I think Diamond's got a mini KK Wright season ahead of her there. She's improved her shot. Ooh. She can shoot from three. And I've been told she's kind of been work, kind of been following that KK Wright plan, if you will. Remember where KK took that next uh, le- step level. I think you're Made seeing the that lead. from Diamond. Uh uh-huh. yep. I think you're seeing that from Diamond. But you get, she's got to get help. She's got to get help in those big games. Now, obviously, Virginia is the more marquee game with the brand name, but Belmont on Sunday is really good, too. In fact, I think that's a tougher game, potentially. Belmont is probably better than Virginia. Virginia is probably tougher because you're on the road. But two tricky games here before they go uh, out of the country to play USC. Yeah. So the bench, they got to get better production out of the bench uh, and help Diamond out offensively. Hey, you
1: know, you are talking about Diamond making the leap. And just like KK did, hey, you know what that is, Tani Balarea. Yep, exactly, yep. Tani Balarea, who is uh, who is one of our nominees for uh, assistant coach of the year. At uh, year, I think she won the assistant coach of the year last year night, the uh, Black and Banner Ed Award. Right,
0: that's correct, uh, right up there. Yeah, so um,
1: hey, this is the, I, I like what we're seeing from that. So, by the way, they're playing Virginia. Virginia was picked dead last.
0: The Tina ACC. Thompson, head coach there. They obviously had a rough year last year with COVID. Yeah. Uh, so we'll They're
1: see reassembling that program from, you know, that she took over um, opportunity for a nice road win against an ACC opponent tonight. I think that's uh, that first that, that's road game. Cancun. Yeah. Right.
0: Yep. Good test there for yep. veteran before team you,
1: before you go down to Cancun uh, this uh, or, or no, they have the game against Belmont on Sunday too. So you can't then they Cancun. go
0: to Cancun for USC, which will be a USC. big game.
1: Uh, don't, don't forget about Idaho state. The following day too, got to get oh, that game boy, river, right by the way that's at the riviera maya mexico the hard rock hotel down there
4: <laughs> nice not bad all right that's like that's a great trip i mean when you're from florida that's a great trip bryson
1: are you gonna make the trip come on man cancun uh early I, spring
4: break i unfortunately not <laughs> i'm gonna be in georgia for thanksgiving so uh, uh fortunately i would not be able to make that or just
1: not the same as riviera maya mexico man i gotta tell you I no, got to, it, you know what
4: no, we got to we,
1: we got to boost the uh, black and banner at travel budget here and see if we can get you down there. For, it's, it's get get you down to some more exotic locales for some of those uh, for some of those pre uh, conference tournaments. Um, I want to talk about volleyball here because uh, this is the story right now. I think in UCF sports, the magic number for the Knights is three combination of UCF wins and Houston losses, which are needed to for UCF to clinch the championship. Because remember, there's no tournament this year. UCF has their final two home matches this week. They play Wednesday, that's that's tonight, we're recording this, uh, against USF, and then Friday against Temple. USF and Temple are the two bottom teams in the American, so UCF should handle these matches easily. Now, the problem is Houston, who's in second place, two matches back of UCF. The Cougs are they don't play they don't play their first match of the weekend until Friday. And so unfortunately, yeah, now they're also playing uh, at Memphis. Now they're on the road this weekend at Memphis at SMU. Unfortunately, if if Houston wins on Friday, that means that UCF can't clinch at home the only chance that UCF can clinch on the home floor is if obviously they win both matches Wednesday and Friday. And then also coincidental to that on Friday, Houston loses. Now they Memphis. would clinch
0: a share though, right? If they win both home matches,
1: right? uh, yeah, I'd have to check on that because remember Houston owns the tiebreaker right now.
0: No. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying like they would, uh, they would, uh, even if, like, if UCF wins their home matches, they're two games up right now in Houston. Even if they were to lose out on the road, they would still share the title with Houston. Now, you're right. The tiebreaker is different. But I'm saying sharing at least a, a, a the regular season title if they win their two home matches. Yeah, but it, they don't want that. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm just saying <laughs> to that's quote, the scenario. To, I mean, quote,
1: right. to, quote, uh, to quote Lee Corso, they don't give a you-know-what about that. <laughs> they want to win this thing outright, and they can. Um, but, you know, it may come down to that last match at Houston. Uh, and remember, Houston is their only conference loss. So, Bryson, what's the order of bit, what's the order of operations here for UCF volleyball, and what are you following? Because you know, there's also some milestones we got to talk about here too. Because after they after the wins against Memphis and SMU,
4: oh yes, for sure. So, uh, talking to Coach Dagenet after the uh, SM, SMU match, he talked about how US because USF is a rivalry game, he called it a trap game. So um, but but however, he has he has talked about how, how, you know, ever since the Houston match, you know, he's he's seen because he talked about after that match where the team was playing more protectively in a sense. And so Mm -hmm. he he has seen he has not seen that at all since then. So I think that that loss honestly might have been the kick in the rear that this team may have needed at the time uh, to keep the aggressiveness going throughout the rest of the season and this season finale the regular season finale match against houston i think is going to be a, a very big indicator about where this team is going is, is going forward like are they a like are they a legit contender or a pretender because obviously some people will discount the team being from the aac which isn't exactly a very strong volleyball conference this season so I think the so I think with going against Houston is going to be a very important, I guess, litmus test, I suppose, for uh, for this team as they as it goes forward. UCF has won eleven matches in a row since that Houston loss.
1: In that span, they've lost a grand total of three sets. So they're thirty three and three in their last thirty six sets uh, since the Houston loss. They, they, I think, I think you're absolutely right. It gave them the kick in the tail that that they needed. Um, and, it, and it showed that they got to bring it every match because you can lose. You are not invincible. Um, where are we on? Uh, oh, Narissa moravic? Yes. Now so, third all time in blocks, right? Over the 500 block mark.
4: Yes. Yeah, she just crossed the 500 block mark, joining her teammate, anne Marie Watson, as well as UCF Hall of Famer, Tyra Harper. And then and then I checked the and then, and then I check the math and she is also third all time in block and block in block assists currently, but she is on the way she is close to passing Tyra Harper for Tyra Harper which Watson 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 did earlier this earlier this season but this is a but of course you know um you know dad and they talked about how he was really proud of moravic for passing that 500 block mark because she's one to two kind of sacrifice on the offensive end so to can to be the blocker and let the outsides take the off to take the offensive stuff and so to and so to see something that for, for Dashy for something that she really excels at to get that to get to that 500 mark especially when she has this kind of unselfish style of play to her for her um, he's just very proud to see that happen and I'm honestly am glad that she is able to have the spotlight this time because not only does she have to sacrifice on the offensive end but she's playing on the same team as Amory marie Wa- as Amory Watson who is ahead of her in total blocks and block assists. Now, I actually I was just curious and I went ahead and did the numbers. uh Moravic does have more solo blocks than Watson does and she has more blocks per set, but um but the point remains, you know, I I would honestly argue that two of the three best blockers in UCF volleyball history are on the same team right well, now. The numbers back you up on
1: that. That's for I, sure. And this is and listen, this is, a, this is one of the best blocking teams in America for the reason. They're 19th in the country in blocks per set, 2.64. Uh, and they're also uh, top 15 in hit percentage at, at 13th at, uh, 20, at uh, hitting 278. So that gives you an idea of, you know, the defense that they're playing right now uh, is, is outstanding. Um, we are remiss if we don't talk about McKenna Melville somehow. She was named Player of the Week for the fifth time this season. Um, 12th time in her career she is tearing it up double doubles in both matches this uh, week 66 for her career 14 on the season and she is now again at the top of national numbers Bryson this is crazy
4: 504 kills this season she just continues to just I mean, I will say it every single week if I have to. McKenna Melville is a grown woman. She is. (laughs) I mean, Dagenet even said it himself that McKenna Melville may walk out of this program as one of the best players this program has ever seen. And I mean, when you I mean, when you talk, when you say when the guy that coach Kia Bright tells you that, then that is that I think that is that is something to be you know, be in awe of, in a sense. And of course, you know, and of course we also have the night the nineties era of Renata Medjakova, Tyra Harper, and Miriam Metzkis, which of course was in the route was in the rally scoring era. They're doing this under a completely different scoring system than that. And so, I mean, we were talking Melville, but I want to be able to really emphasize like, because we are, it we have a team here where we have McKenna Melville, who was top 10 all time in both kills and digs. We have anne Watson and Marissa Mor- Mor- uh, Moravik, two of the three best blockers in this program's history. And we have Amber Olson, who is in the top 10 all time in assists and working her way up that list. So I honestly like I mean in my opinion as far as a full team goes I feel like I wonder if I wonder we'd have to probably do a little more research into this but I really think that this is one of the best all-around teams since the into all-around teams in a little bit even if it has not to be. earlier this de- even if not earlier this decade then as good as the mid not mid yeah. to late 90s it
1: has to be uh, you know it, there's no doubt about it and by the way McKenna now at 1873 kills for her career that's 59 short of Tyra Harper for second all-time at UCF and of course 127 shy of 2000 which is uh, only one UCF player has 2,000 career kills which is Renata Menchicova at 2151 um and uh, and that was in the side out scoring era of course you know when you could get a lot more kills uh it it, and of course again because you can only because back then you could only score a point if you were on serve if you got a point if you scored a point on
4: serve right so um, it blows my mind it, it 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 does like i seriously we we've said this in previous weeks but we want to i want to make sure we say it again if you have not seen this team play yet you go you have if this um, if this uh episode gets posted uh later today, today we're recording this on wednesday go watch the usf match go watch the temple match because there's no guarantee that they're going to be hosting in the in the ncaa tournament yeah. These are the only guaranteed chances you'll be able to see all of these players play together because Dash and I mentioned that Watson and Moravik will, will, will be leaving after the, after this season, their eligibility is run out. So to see all of these players, Melville, Olson, Watson, Moravik, all of them together, uh, that your last, your last chances, at least in the Orlando area could be coming on Wednesday, on Wednesday and Friday. Um, one other thing I do want to mention before we, uh, before, um, is that, uh Kate uh, we have we actually have a new a little switch up in with libero Chloe she- sophomore Chloe Shear has been playing the position for most of the season but freshman Caitlin Grimes has actually gotten the opportunity to play some libero some libero over the past couple of matches and uh Dajene said talked about how he was really and he was glad to have some flexibility at the position He just get Grimes some work there and uh she and she and she actually did a pretty a pretty solid job she managed to get to and she managed to get two aces in the, uh, in the yeah. SMU game. And she also, and uh, yeah, and uh, she got two assists in the, in, in the Memphis game and she got nine digs in the, Men- in, in the Memphis game as well. So, uh, so if, even if we have these upperclassmen that are absolutely making historic stats, we still have the next generation coming and that comes with, you know, people like Chloe Shear and Caitlin Grimes.
1: Yeah. Um, one other thing, uh, uh, and uh, I mean that's the the part about that that I thought was amazing was you know how good Caitlin has been back there uh, at the libero position. Uh, she's an excellent server, and that that comes without that comes with it. But you know, f- to be a true freshman coming in there, you know, we haven't seen that since Jordan Pingle. So um, now uh, RPI check, Eric. UCF's at twenty four. What do you yeah, think? And-
0: yeah, it's gonna it, go down. It's gonna get worse. Florida,
1: it's gonna, it, yeah, with the last, with you can this win, last weekend.
0: They can win 25 0 for three sets. The next two matches they are gonna drop because Temple and USF are uh, way at the bottom there. They're a
1: combined, yeah. They're they're, they're not good.
0: Um, now, what's interesting, the NCAA has been doing their own projections. Uh they ha- they don't have a Florida team hosting. I don't agree with that. I think a Florida team is going to host.
1: Well, you well, have you have Florida, you have UCF at 24 in the RPI. Yep. You have Florida at 18 and you have Miami at 15 and Florida Florida state State at 11.
0: I would. Yeah. I, I think one of those Florida teams are going to host. I think it's either going to be Florida I think it'll be Florida at the end if they win out, uh, but it could be Florida's. Heck, why not make both? Why not have two teams in the state of Florida host? That's, that's a crazy Florida's concept. Had, huh?
1: Florida's had a few. Florida's had some issues this year, like they
0: lost to Mississippi State for the first time. Yeah, but they figured it out. They figured it out. They're 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 rolling now. They might win the SEC actually if they win out, but. The interesting thing is the NCAA has their own projections. They got UCF going to number one, Louisville. <laughs> oh
1: boy! So
0: if they don't, if a Florida, the reason I bring that up is if a Florida team doesn't host, uh, they may end up going to a uh, Louisville as a possibility.
1: I still think Louisville, it's going to be, by
0: the way, uh, number one in the country undefeated yeah. 24 Yo! and 0. Yeah. So the point is they're going to be headed to a very difficult road uh, for postseason. Again. But that, that's that's going to be the way it goes. That's the way it goes. And look, that you're right. This is the focal point here, right? I mean, outside of the football and all that, you know, can this team lock up that fourth straight title? How do they do in the postseason? All eyes will be that. I will point out that Houston match. That's a must-win for Houston. Forget the conference championship. They got to win that because for an at-large purposes, if they don't win that match, they're not. It's going to be a one bid league for the league.
1: Yeah, they're four, yeah Houston. Even though they're twenty-three and five, they played well this year. Their RPI is forty nine because they beat up on a lot of uh, on a lot of not so good teams in the early part of the in the early part of the season. And that's what you know, Coach Dajnay. That schedule that he put together really helped UCF out. You know, Houston's twenty three and five overall,
0: uh, but UCF is twenty two and six. Right. By the way, don't be surprised if UCF is a three seed in the tournament, hmm. Hmm. either in Gainesville or Tallahassee or Miami or Louisville. And obviously, if they're in the state not of Florida. No, I think uh, the way this is playing out, let's say Florida hosts. I think Miami or FSU will be the two in that region, oh, and then UCF right. will be the three. Now, and then if, if let's say, Florida State is hosting, then you could see a Florida or a Mississippi State as the two, and UCF is a three. So that's why I think they'll What be if three. they go somewhere other than Florida? They could be a two in Louisville. Uh, that might be the case uh, outside, maybe. Uh, but you know, I don't listen. Uh, they, they is one thing I've learned about committees. If they can fit you in a bus and move you to a three seat, they'll do it. They did it with softball last year. They moved them to Tallahassee. They had them as a three seat. They should have been a two, but they were a three because they can bus. So if it, the fact that UCF can bus to Florida, Florida state and Miami, that's why if a Florida team is going to host in the state, that's where UCF's going to end up. Guarantee. You know, what's
1: what, you know, it's when you got to watch out for
0: mm. Georgia tech.
1: Georgia Tech. Even though UCF played them earlier in the year, Georgia Tech's RPI is sixth. That's actually the third best out of the ACC schools. Right, but I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. Surprise! That could be another landing spot again. Match. If yeah. remember Florida, lost to them in four right. at the venue in the season opener.
0: Right. You know, and had some shots
1: I thought in that match. So.
0: But again, Venus that's if anybody, that's if a Florida team does not host a regional, if, if a Florida team's hosting, they're busing, period. I mean, that's just the way Can they it. bus to Atlanta. No, I have, I've done that Can math for many years. It's no, it's a over 400 mile radius. Uh, uh, I mean, so that technically a little that,
1: bit longer than.
0: And miles. right. And I've talked to committee people when it's that. I mean, they at that point, they're just, you know, it's like, just go ahead and fly. If it's past 400, <laughs> you're flying or we're going to just bus you to a closer place. So we'll all see, right. but they got to take care of business. Let's see if they can win the conference title. That's the first step and uh, make, don't leave it up to anybody else's hands because Houston's going to be ready next week. Cause that's a, their season's on the line in that match for all purposes, yeah. for a lot of reasons. All right. Bryson last little bit cross country,
1: uh, NCAA, what they were the regionals South regional Um really good performances coming out of this. Does you see, you know, it, it's, it, it's, do they advance? No, but this program's building some steam here going forward for the future, right?
4: Oh yes. Oh yes. we talked about the cross country and how they're a very youth dominated team, a dominated team now. And uh, with one of the, the only upper class and I believe being Charlotte, being Charlotte crook. Um, and in the regional, they, they tied for the second best position in the NCAA South Regional that the program has ever had. The only time they finished higher than 15th, which is what they were this year, uh, the only time they were higher was in 2014 when they placed in 14th. Uh, now, Valerie Laster, of course, let, led the pack. Once again, she finished 78th overall with a 21-51.68, but the, a majority of the other runners behind her broke the personal bests in the, six, in the 6K, Charlotte Crook, Cambry Smith, Isabella Babylonia, Lillian Holtery and Rachel Wheatley all beat their old personal bests in the, in the six K. And then, and then sophomore Mariano Rodriguez brought brought up the rear finishing with 169th with 23, 29 uh, coach J- Brian Jackson tweeted afterwards that, uh, that he essentially is very excited about the development of this program and, and the forward momentum that they will have going into next season. And, you know, considering that 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 they managed to to put these performances off, like break personal vests in the NCA South Regional where it matters. I mean, I am very very intrigued to see the growth of the, the the growth of this program over the next over the next few years, especially since a lot of them are going to be doing so uh, together because they ca- most of them came in to, uh, came in to get together. So that that's going to be something I'm very interested to see going forward. We're also Going to be seeing uh, Lastra, Crook, R- 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 and Rodriguez, along with a couple of other members of the cross country team, on the indoor track and field team, which begin which begins its season on January fourteenth. So keep an eye out for that.
1: Yep, indoor season right around the corner, and then it's outdoor season in uh, Jones. Um, and Renaya Jones. All right, all right, all right, all right he- listen. Okay, we talk about sprinters, right? Distance is looking good. Yes, I think so. We should be a lot of fun. Yeah, should All be right, good. Bryson. Well, we got, wait,
0: we got to do one more thing. I okay. want to give a shout out, a tribute. This segment, this portion right there is a tribute to our old buddy who used to be in that, well, used to be with us on a weekly basis who lives and breathes baseball. And he just had his Major League Baseball season end. It's kind of a withdrawal. You know, this is kind of a down period for the movie industry. You know, There's not a lot of good movies out. It's the holidays. Here, here my friend, if you're listening, and I know you are, cheer up, my friend. Because we got fall ball UCF baseball talk right now, baby.
1: Let's go. <laughs> All
4: right. What do we got, so, Bryce? You've been got, out Bryce? there. You were
1: there. You were there. What happened?
4: All right. So, we had... Uh, so, unfortunately, uh, we didn't have as many games as we'd like to. The Black and Gold World Series was shrunk down from three games to one. Wow. So, I only saw a fall ball game at home against Stetson and then the Black and Gold World Series itself. But... From what we saw, uh, the thing uh, I, I am I am very optimistic about this team. I mean, for I mean, a big thing that Love Lady was talking about with me, and I completely agree with him on this, is that this team needs to stay healthy because injuries ravaged this team. football? <laughs> yeah, rav- injuries ravaged this team last year and led to a starting rotation that wasn't at its best, and unfortunately, and was not deep enough to take the team to the conference champ to the conference championship to win the conference championship uh this season though they bring in two transfer pitchers connor Stain and william saxton and i have seen and, and i i've talked with a cup co- and with who i've talked to uh, they and what, from what i've seen in those two games they look very impressive they, they did a great job the defense was actually quite dominant the, like a very uh, prevalent in the two games that I saw. So with Hunter Patterson coming back, having it and being able to come off of that four momentum from last, from last season, the starting rotation is looking like it could end. It could have a bounce back season. So we um, other, other pitchers that could end up get get a look at starter is another transfer. Cameron crane. Lovely. told me that he started the game, the away game at Stetson. And then another one, which is very intriguing to me, David Litchfield, the closer, has been getting reps as a starter throughout this fall season. And from what Love Lady has kind of told me, he, they wanted to extend him this offseason because they didn't know at the time when they were to made this decision if Stain or Saxton, you know, what you know, they were unknown quantities at the time. So they wanted to extend Litchfield. So that way, it, so if, for, if something went wrong with either of them, then Litchfield could, be, could insert himself at the, start, at the starting position. And so he is a option that they are going to look at through the winter, and he could be an option for the starting rotation in the spring. He, he did start in the black and gold World Series game. Now, it, um, obviously, the, the, then that begs the question, uh, who's going to be the closer if Litchfield moves to the starting rotation and that is going and, and he's and it looks like that's going to be either Zach Bennett or Ben Vespi. So that so that is looking. So that's looking good in the pitching department. One other highlight I want to mention real quick is Julian Balzer. He managed to work he made um, incoming freshman. He managed to work his way out of the bases loaded jam. So that is certainly something. So I'm look. So hopefully this bullpen will be a lot deeper this season than it was than it was last time so that's so that's good news as far as the pitching goes now on the field there are a couple of position battles that are left open be, uh, that are left open from MLB draftees Josh Crouch got drafted in the MLB draft which leaves catcher wide open but of course with after transfers the catching department was left fairly fairly lean so Ben so with the return of Nick Romano to first base, which by the way I talked to him and he said that he's looking to 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 get himself back into where he was in the conference tournament because he played really well there. So, um, but the catching department is going to be having Ben McKay back there again. So that's so that brings some experience there as well as, and then we also have has, have a Pittsburgh transfer, Wash, Wash, who he he brings some veteran experience and he got some time at catcher at catcher this fall. Uh, freshman Andrew Sundine. And then one thing I've noticed is that, and it lovely said, this guy is going to have a major role in the team going forward. Cole Russo. He, 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 he's played a bit at third. He played a bit at third base, but he also is apparently a catcher as well. So he's, it looks like he's going to be a super utility player that could play a role in the upcoming season. Uh, Jordan Rathbone of course is gone as well. That leaves right field open. Uh, uh, And we, I've seen, I saw Trent Taylor out there. I saw Lex, but, but, uh, incoming freshman Lex Bodeker, out there, and then Lovely told me Tom Joston was also getting some work out there as well. Now Taylor, um, really, now Taylor is the one that impressed me the most. He had some, he made, he stole, he stole some ba- a couple of bases. He also made a very acrobatic catch out there and right that was quite impressive to watch if you were there. So and uh, Lovely did tell me he what that he, that he was trying to essentially increase the radius of where guys are able to play and so you got jeffrey pena the speedy jeffrey pena in center you get another speedster trent taylor in right and you have a and you i think you have a very solid a very large radius of places where you can manage to get the out so if i had to put money on anything i would put money on trent taylor but of course tom Joston has a has a bat on him he hit seven home runs on the day of the black and gold world series game, he hit a solo Homer in the middle of the game was the only run for his team. And then it was a one-to-one tie after nine innings. So they went to a home run Derby and then Joston just went and hit six home runs after that. So press the performance out of Jostin. That's something that's going to be there. And then I, and then uh, finally third, and then finally third base, uh, Andrew Bray, Actually exited the game against Stetson with a bit uh, seemed to be nursing an issue with his shoulder. So we got to see Michael Brooks, No Orlando, and Cole Russo there. Uh, lovely said that Brooks has been a standout returner this uh, this fall. So uh, so we're not really sure if Bray is uh, is going is is will be forced to miss time that uh, miss time. We we don't know who's going to take their base in his place. But uh, Michael Brooks seems to be looking pretty uh, seems to be looking pretty good there. So. Big story. So overall, the pitching is is uh, the pitching department has been revamped and looks to be. Uh, and the goal is to be healthier than they were last season. The outfield the outfield's looking uh, is is looking fairly consistent with uh, consistent with right field needing to get filled, and then the infield is it, of course is still deep as always. That they need to find a way to get Tom Joston in there because he plays second normally, and John Montez is there. So deep in so deep in field great bats will be back the pitching is getting revamped i i for one am quite optimistic about what this season this regular season will happen
1: yeah, yeah. breakdown by bryson turner ladies and gentlemen oh. wow that is let's what, go that
0: is 93 quality. days till first pitch and that's baby. not even
4: everything i didn't even i don't and that's not everything there's <laughs> something uh, don't don't worry. There are a couple of other stories that I'm, I'm i want that hope I hope I'll get the chance to talk about when the season begins. But that's just the preview. So that's I'm, right. so, I'm so excited to do a full season of this. Like seriously. I'm, I I'm that's ready. right.
0: You just made a guy right there, He's listening smile right there. Yeah, he's missing bit oh, you know, I'm,
1: I'm gonna break the code. Huh? Brian
0: Murphy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that one's for you, man. Look at look at what you've done. Look at the monster you've created.
0: 93 days, Murph! For- ball
1: glove let's go all right bryson thanks for thanks for getting us in on this and getting us updated and everything man we always appreciate you nightcap is up right now as you can get a lot of details on the week in action of ucf sports thanks to bryson as always for his hard hard work
4: all right man Of course. by the way as a bonus on nightcap we didn't get a chance to we don't have time to cover it this time but women's tennis finished its fall schedule check out nightcap to see how how they did Look at the
1: teases. Boom. Oh my God, this guy. The fire. Holy smokes. All right. We got to get going here. Bryson, thank you so much. It's Bryson Turner on Twitter. Eric Lopez, Elo on Twitter. Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter. You can follow us all at UCF Banneret underscore SBN. Remember this UCF at underscore SBN. Why? Long story. I'm dealing with Twitter right now. Okay. But that's our new, hopefully not permanent, but hopefully temporary Twitter handle for the time being. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are UCF's home on the, uh, on the SB Nation network, as always. You can follow us there, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. And you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Wherever you want. If you're an Android user, iPhone user, doesn't matter. Make sure you leave us a comment. Leave us let us know how we're doing. We love to hear from you. And also, don't forget to join the all new now just recently open membership UCF Knights community on Twitter. Okay, um, communities is a new feature that we're rolling out. I just tweeted it out. Um, go to uh, Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter. UCF Banner underscore SBN on Twitter, and ch- check out all of us. Also, Stat Boy Drew Andrew Glukov um make sure you check out the sotg that's kyle nash who's covering basketball for us uh as well um all of us are doing that work for you uh out here on twitter so uh, out here on twitter so check out the new ucf Knights nice community you can now click to join where we talk about nothing but ucf sports all the time on twitter it is the home uh, but hopefully hopefully i would love it to be the home of the ucf twitter mafia like on twitter right rather than just a hashtag, just a place where we can all go. Okay, so that's that's my hope. All right, for Eric Lopez, Bryson Turner. Oh, also, I want to thank Taylor Young. I
0: can't believe I almost forgot
1: to, talk, to thank T.Y. Thanks to Taylor for following us. You can follow him on Instagram, Taylor B. Young, Twitter on Taylor B. Young. For Taylor, for Drew, for Bryson, for Eric, I'm Jeff, saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black No Banner Podcast. We will catch you next week and also this weekend on Night Shift after the UConn game. See you then you mm-hmm.